Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. All right, three, two, one, go. Hey, guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives, and this is the Knife Perspective, number 068, The European Affair. How you doing to not night today, Kyle? (laughs) Doing pretty good. I had to go get a new battery for my truck, the cold weather here. Uh, My battery is a little over five years old in my truck, so it was starting to crank a little slow, and... Uh, instead of trying to eke out the next couple of months, I'm just going to preemptively change the battery after the podcast. So um, another reason cold weather sucks. Yeah, but the the snow is kind of fun. I got to throw a snowball and hit my wife with it the other day. So that's always fun. Nice. My, my nice. Boys, I wonder why though, you were in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my boys are uh, constantly throwing snowballs and stuff mm-hmm. now. So uh, that's pretty fun, too. You, you're getting into that sweet age where uh, you don't have to try too hard and you're still better than they are. Yeah. But they want to do it. That's that's a sweet, sweet place to be. We got home from uh, first grade school and uh, they're like, can we help shovel the driveway? Yes, you can. But <laughs> no, they, no, no, I don't think you're old enough yet. <laughs> but, then, okay. but then they, they started like swirling and all sorts <laughs> of lines everywhere. So, uh yeah, it was kind of funny, but yeah. How are you doing, Dan? I am actually doing phenomenal. I just had a uh, my six-week uh, check-in with my physical therapist, who is freaking amazing, and she gave me the greatest compliment she's ever given me out of the last eight surgeries we worked on together. She said, and I quote, I have been surprisingly not stupid. Nice. <clears throat> I like it. Yeah, I'm a little ahead of schedule. I'm healing up really well. Um, Everybody's been been impressed. The the idiot ball has been effective. Nice. Um, When I had my ACL surgery, um, they were, my OT person and physical therapist were like, uh, you're so much like farther along than I thought. Like, what have you been doing? I go, I've been doing the stretches you told me to. (laughs) They're like, Huh. Amazing how that happens. So. I tend to have the opposite problem. <laughs> if a little's good, then just going back to normal will be fine. And I, I tend to tear anchors loose or uh, yeah. let's just say there's a reason I've had four surgeries on and I've only got two shoulders. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it continues to heal up good and you're back to grinding here in a couple of months. Uh, I should be grinding by the, the end of the month and back on the mat in probably another 60 days. Mm. And not, not trying to wrestle uh, 20-year-olds at full speed? or Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and not wrestling three 20-year-olds at full speed. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say I'd never do that, but. Uh... <laughs> and the, the Beth go back, go back, whatever it costs is still 
Yeah, um, apparently uh, me being a 30-pound lighter not asshole is worth whatever uh, occasional medical bills and inconveniences uh, we're occurring. Okay. Accruing, accruing. Nice. Yeah, um, she's been awesomely supportive. I was really, really ready for the, oh, no, we're, we're not getting into this again. But when I came home needing surgery, she's like, all right, that's fine. You know, just don't put the weight back on. Nice. Well, it, it helps if you don't buy a or uh, if you don't buy me a case of uh, was that gin or oh vodka <laughs> vodka. <laughs> yeah, that that year supply of vodka has made it almost a month. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <sighs> All right, we've got uh, some of our sponsors: Giant's Knife Supply, and you could use discount code KP Grip for ten percent off all handle material there, and uh, check out all their other materials and uh, knife making uh, items. Uh, lots of good stuff there. And uh, Atlas Materials, I was uh, talking with them; they're doing a great job up there, and pretty excited for uh, all the handle materials and stuff that. Dan has uh, hiding around in his office. So uh, they've got a bunch of different vendors that they're trying to bring on board for some different things. So uh, definitely uh, make sure you check them out. Um, and we've got Phoenix Abrasive. Use discount code KP10 for 10% off all of your orders. Um, that includes the Broadbreck Incinerate. Wait, you just did you delete yeah. it because they don't offer them anymore? No, they do. I just uh, uh, oh, you're fixing it, okay. And that includes the Broadback Incinerator 36 grit belts, which I've been really impressed with, um, especially using some of the particle steels and whatnot. Uh, also, remember to ask them about their shop rolls. I have just run through my first 15 yards, and I'm about to order some more. It cool. is. It's been a time. I, I'm pretty sure I have less wastage, but it's definitely been a time saver just to have a roll right there that I can tear off the piece I need. Nice. Yeah. And they're coming out with a new website here soon. So uh, hopefully there'll be enhanced uh, searchability and usability. So keep them in mind. And then my good friends at Old Town Cutlery, who not only carry some of the finest kitchen knives in the world. That would be Dogwood Custom Knives and KH Daily Knives. But if you use discount code KP10, that's 10% off all of your orders. I haven't heard back from anybody that said they couldn't do it. So, hey, you want to jump on and check out some of their antique uh, case knives and that sort of thing? Apparently, you can get 10% off. Yeah. And they have all sorts of knife making supplies, too. So check them out for that, too belts and handle material and everything so and as far as i know they're still doing the the hands-on classes as well they've got a, a nice little grind room set up in the shop yeah if you're local to uh they're in da dawson uh they're near delonica well uh, they're just outside of coming like oh, okay coming delonica georgia mm -hmm. they're, they're real places you can look them up i promise i used to live there yeah and then uh the other last sponsors, last but not least, Dogwood Custom Knives and Cage Daily Knives. And you could find Dogwood Custom Knives and Cage Daily Knives at Old Town Cutlery and Knife Center. So definitely check those out for Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. Uh, Knife Center is out of my knives, but they will have some hopefully in the next uh, month or so. So 
Knife Center, Knife Center has mine, but I was a little delinquent on sending in my invoice, so they couldn't put them in the system. Mm. But by the time you hear this podcast, there'll be a Magna Cut. Uh, they're the kit knife. It's a slightly larger version of the Cub, and mm-hmm. they should be available. Nice. And you can find Dogwood Custom Knives at the Cook Station and Blade HQ also. And you can find Cage Daily Knives at Northside Cutlery in the Chicagoland area. So check those places out for some some excellent knives. And for the Guild Watch and Knife Shows, we've got Spirit of the Blade coming up in Troy, Ohio, March 3rd and 4th. You can find Jess Hoffman, Clarence DeYoung, Doug Ritter of Knife Rights, and many more there. So uh, check out Spirit of the Blade in Troy, Ohio. Um, we have Blade Texas in Fort Worth, Texas. That's March 17th through the 18th. Uh, Frank Grissom will be there, friend of the show. Uh, Kyle is not going to be able to make it because he's a responsible adult who cares for his children. And I'm not going to make it because I'm an irresponsible adult who overbooked his, uh, March. (laughs) (laughs) But I have heard great things about the show. Um, Really intended in going this year and absolutely will be next year. In uh, On March 24th to the 26th, we have the Badger Knife Show in Janesville, Wisconsin, which I will be going to at least on Saturday. Uh, I'll be there probably most of the day if you want to get in touch. Going to try to go up on Friday, too. I will not have a table, but just a lot of people, <coughs> people there to <coughs> visit. No, well, I'm going to be taking a bunch of knives up there to get photos of it. It, don't it, don't you be a hypocrite and start talking about brown bagging at a show after our last three uh, blade show uh, shows talking about what horrible horrible uncouth savages brown baggers are and how they should be cut on site. Yeah, you're not I, talking about doing that, are you? No, I should okay. have a I should have a bunch of my knives because uh, Corey Martin always is set up to take photos there. Yeah, so I'm planning on trying to have a bunch of my. Knife Makers Guild, uh, my voting member knives done for that. So I want to try to get a set of those pictured because I didn't do that for my probationary membership and I kind of wish I did. So yeah, uh, lots of cool people there. Uh, Corey and Peter Martin will be there. Pretty much most of the Midwest Knife Makers Guild will be there. So definitely check those out. Um, So it looks like this is your, uh, your shout out in Gear Talk. Yeah, you want to do yours first? I will. All right. You know, y'all have heard me rant about the crappy social media knives and that when you see them, call them out because they're crap and they're destroying our industry and they're stealing customers from us. Well, I might have fallen for a social media knife and I'm actually pretty pleased with it. Um, It is spelled D E E. J-O, that's Delta Echo Echo Juliet Oscar. Um, the steel is eh, it's a 40, C, uh, 40 CR13. I've just had it for maybe a week now, so we'll see how the edge retention is. Came out sharp as a razor blade. I am actually going to use it as a money clip. I like that it is a super ultra minimalist design. A uh, folding knife with a... Um, just drew a blank on carbon fiber. No, that uh, the liner the lock. Liner lock. Thank you. 
Well, I guess that one would somewhat be called a frame lock, maybe. Yeah, because there's uh, not a whole lot of metal there. <laughs> yeah, there is basically the frame and then a little piece of carbon fiber to cover the edge of the knife when it's folded, which is one of the things I love about it. But now, rather than walking around with an empty money clip, I just have a knife. And then if I have some money, it can go in the clip of the knife and then it's a money clip. A little yep. solid win-win for us there. But I am really digging the mechanism. Um, I'm hoping that uh, that I haven't gotten taken. You can get them with all kinds of like laser etching and the blade and that sort of, sort of thing. I've seen them everywhere from about 50 to 80 bucks. So far, it's worth the money. Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool little knife. Speaking of money clips, I had a funny kid story for you real quick. So one of our family friends, they ended up giving our boys $40 for Christmas and a little card instead of getting them a gift. And our boys have been learning the value of a dollar. So they've been like doing chores, helping clean up, shoveling the driveway. We'll give them like a dollar or two. And they got $40 and they go, we are rich. And then uh, I asked one of them if they wanted to like come and help do something and I'd give them a dollar. And it's like, no, I'm rich. I'm okay for right now. Like, all right. Well, funny thing is prices have gone up. Yeah. You'll see how far that $40 goes. So that was pretty funny. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Yeah. They're, they're a little wallet's going to be pretty empty here soon once they buy two or three toys. So Uh, for my shout outs, I got, Matt Burchett, he came to the to the compound and made a couple of pocket bushcrafters. We uh, got them all shaped and stuff, so he was taking them back home to do the finish sanding. Uh, one of them was uh, canvas micarta, so he's going to be sanding on that for a little bit. And then the other one was some of that General Electric 2000 amp circuit breaker material. Ooh. The FR4 stuff, so pretty cool. Pretty, is that the pretty red or the like the old yep. vintage yeah the pretty red with like all the random fibers uh kind of like a boat hole yeah so uh and then i wanted to give a shout out to jen's anzo he bought a carbide hammer so one's going to be getting shipped to denmark look at you big money pretty excited to uh ship some stuff international if you guys are international message me and i'll get you the quote for the shipping my website does an absolutely horrible job of charging for international shipping so i just have it not allow it and you got to contact me so lots of times it'll say yeah it's like 30 dollars to ship it and then it ends up being like 90 and i'm like yeah i can't exactly eat the extra 60 bucks for for shipping on that but yeah so those hammers are selling really well i'm making 24 of them uh hopefully finishing those up today you're you're gonna become a hammer maker that makes knives aren't you i bet they've been selling like hotcakes so uh which is another thing we should sell we should sell hotcakes everybody always sells sells like hotcakes but I don't know anybody that actually sells hotcakes. So um, I can do pancakes, but I don't know if I can do hotcakes. Those are apparently what sell like hotcakes. Oh, yeah. I, I see it now. Mm-hmm. Speaking of selling like hotcakes and mm-hmm. um, being a tweezer maker that makes knives, uh, I got a new batch of tweezers ready for the, uh, the get posted. So 
By the time you hear this podcast, we will have uh, the Bacon Turners back up on the website, and we have the new grill version of Bacon Turners. They're the grill uh, version. Yeah, they're a little over a foot long, Ooh. thirty centimeters, yeah. and um, they are outstanding for outdoor use. They so we consider them the grill version. Okay. Uh, all of the advantages of bacon turners, but you get a little more standoff so that you don't singe the knuckle hair when you're okay. uh, working the grill. I might have to uh, to get one or two of pairs of those. I might know a guy that could hook you up. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, let's get to the meat and potatoes. Yeah. You want to introduce the, uh, our the guest? Kosh, as it were. Yeah. Um, today's interview is, all right, I, I really feel like I need to just be clear on this. Um when I start talking about that I am considering a team of Serbian mercenaries to handle a situation, this is not the guy I'm talking about. I want to be very clear. It's an entire different Serbian, but it's not this guy. Um, did meet him as uh, when we were both guests on one of Jungle Joe's bushcraft expeditions. Um, he and another mutual friend, uh, we got exiled to the far end of camp, which was probably best for everyone. Uh, really gave me a chance to get to know them, to get to know him, to learn some about his his knife philosophy, his design. It was interesting to hear a he's got a very different approach than I do, but has been successful. So it was a pretty cool learning exp uh, opportunity for me. Uh, I think we can now tell the world that he's got two patterns coming out with Condor. So I'd want to introduce everybody to. Uh, Namaste, also known as Namanya. How you doing to not night, Namanya? I am doing of very good. Thank you for inviting me to your radio program. I am first person in village to ever have on radio. Thank you. <laughs> hey everybody, thanks guys for inviting me. I'm really honored. And yeah, you're uh, completely right. Um, I have two patterns coming out uh, with uh, Condor. It was debuted now at Short Show. 2023, well, all I can say for now is uh, thanks, and why am I not being considered for the Serbian mercenary team? I, I felt slightly offended there. Um, understood, understood. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Oh, so you don't really want me to explain it? Uh, better not. This is, this is all on the record. <laughs> um, let's jump right into our standard uh, start off. Where did you grow up, Manja? Yeah, well, um, I was born in 1989. That was uh, just as the breakup of uh, what was once Yugoslavia uh, was happening. And I was born right before the war started. So I was born in a country that doesn't exist anymore. And I now call the Republic of Serbia my home. Uh, but it's basically the same place. <clears throat> Different model. <laughs> uh, um, Freedom! Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm um, going to behave the rest of the night. I don't know. Go right ahead. This is uh, as long as the joke is funny, I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> I was born uh, on the uh, northern part, on the border with uh, Hungary. I'm from a, a mixed marriage from a Hungarian mother and a Serbian father. Uh, my hometown is called Subotica. It's literally a place that nobody in America has ever heard of until now. Until now, actually. Now they've met its most famous son, the twice knife designer, 
Nemanja. <laughs> yeah, now you have all, all heard it for the first time. Nemanja Bogdanov here on your podcast. The first first time the knife community has ever heard about me, <laughs> and hopefully not the last. Yeah, just kidding. No, I'm, I I intend to to make a no, not not a dent, but I intend to make a splash. Hopefully, in a not arrogant uh, way. Hopefully. So just um, about how big is your hometown? Um, well, if we call, we have something called the Obstina, which means like a region. The entire region is 100,000 people. And my ho- my hometown, how do, I fra- how do I phrase it? I'm in the suburbs. I was born in the suburbs of my hometown. And that is basically a few streets, mm-hmm. Alexandro. And that was uh, literally just several streets. But uh, all in all, the city, when it all like connects, has... 80, 80,000 people. people. Uh-huh. It's not, it's actually big considering Serbian standards. Now it's, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth biggest city in, um, in Serbia, but all in all, it's, it's still Serbia. It's a small country. We have 7 million people. We're non-EU where we've had wars uh, all, all the way from, uh, I don't know, 18, 1812 up until 1999 and etc etc so th- this was a this is a very how do i say the, the powder keg of europe is what they <laughs> call our region for a reason and that's basically where i come from the north north part of the uh, the uh, powder keg 80,000 80, people isn't nothing to sneeze at i'd i'd be happy if 80,000 people bought my knives so well <laughs> Well, especially, so I, I had the pleasure of visiting Serbia for a little while. And yeah. like second or third day in, in country, I got in the car and I looked at Beth and I'm like, have you noticed how tall everybody is? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, man, I come up to the shoulder of everybody here. Like even most of the women. <laughs> and the next time we stop, she gets in the car. She's like, oh my God, I didn't notice it. Everybody's freaking huge here. So when he starts talking about like the powder keg of Europe, it's the powder keg of a bunch of freaking giants. Like if I were that big, I'd be fighting all the time too. I wouldn't be afraid of shit. <laughs> uh, it seems we're um, third, uh, second or third uh, in the world world by height by average. And I wasn't aware of this, but six foot two is considered tall, and I'm the shortest of three brothers. So yeah. I was the small guy. Yeah, he gets down to the jungle. He's like, "What is this? The land of Lilliput?" <laughs> you should have seen Ivan the, the, the first time I went. The, the chief of the Matisse tribe. He was uh, up to my chest, and I, I was bending over, like uh, trying to be uh, within his eyesight so that I wouldn't look down on him. And it was literally like kneeling down with <laughs> me, the eyesight of a child. So it was very awkward. Um, and that's when he learned that the stories about giants were true. <laughs> okay, we've digressed. Um, yeah. So semi-rural Very much area, northern um, Serbia. Yeah. Um, I guess that kind of touches on what was it like. It was like a semi-rural area in a really cold area. Yeah. I'm from the south. Everything is cold. <laughs> harsh winters, harsh summers. So that's what, how, how we look at it. Dan likes it to be like 23 or 20 to like 25 C <laughs> like 70, uh-huh. 70 to 85 degrees. Man, really anything under 80 and my joints are getting kind of stiff and I got to put on a second blanket. 
No, I'm I'm good. Now I I'm gonna have to recalculate just how much this is. But when I was in uh, Siberia for the for the only time, I experienced mi- minus forty seven degrees Celsius, and I'll tell you how much that is in Fahrenheit. That's, that's almost exactly. Know. That's almost exactly the same. Negative forty is the same on both scales. Uh, yep. So uh, what that is is hell no. I'm going home. <laughs> it, it says actually. Uh, if I'm crunching the numbers right, minus uh, 47C equals 116.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's the 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 type of cold that where you blink and ho- hold your eyes shut for too long, you're you're having a hard time opening them back up. Wow. We you hit negative that. 20 in Pennsylvania, and that's when I went into the house and told Beth, "Hey, look, when this white stuff melts, the boys and I are headed south." <laughs> you can come with us. You can come visit. You can do what you want, but as soon as the roads are clear, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, Dan doesn't. Dan doesn't like to put on big, heavy uh, coats and stuff. Jesus, for the love of do y'all, not know about sundresses and cowboy boots. Yeah, I mean, why would you not want to live in a land where the women constantly wear sundresses and cowboy boots? Because I mean, it is God's the- proof that He wants us to be happy and multiply. There's well, this thing called hurricanes that I'd rather not have to deal with one of those ever. Hurricane, schmurricane, they just come through every now and then. Sundresses are forever. Okay, so I agree with your argument. It makes a lot of sense. But think of it this way. If it's cold, you're unwrapping the present for a longer amount of time. So you get to ah. enjoy it more thoroughly. Think of it like wine tasting, you know? Yeah, yeah um, so I've had a lot of trouble opening a wine bottle. And I still enjoy drinking the wine more than opening the bottle. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to have to settle on different perspectives here, but all in all, I've never said uh, no to beautiful woman in a sundress. I was about to say, uh, I would never uh, say no to a sundress, but I know you would just uh, (laughs) twist my words because I I know the way you work. Danny. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had four disturbing pictures already queued up to send you. No, it. No, it's it's good that that we spent uh, enough time together so that I know the way you work. And I'm not gonna fall into any uh, any easy traps. I'm gonna make it difficult for you to catch me. Oh, nice. bless your heart. <laughs> one of uh, one of the other questions we usually like to start with is, yeah. what's the first knife you remember growing up, like using and having, or the first uh, one that got given to you? Um, I, I I literally remember it because I was trying to find it for ages later on i mean well into my teens i was trying to find it it was like a it was a chinese copy of a buck 110 but it was shorter it was basically uh, a little bit longer than a finger but it looked like -hmm. like a buck 110 and uh, it was basically in a drawer and i I would constantly use it for whatnot and um, my parents they would scold me but they were like you're just gonna get hurt you're just gonna get hurt eventually the knife got so dull from using it on everything that it wouldn't cut anything. So it turned into my toy. Uh, after that, my dad, my dad had, uh, everything was knockoff back then because you couldn't import anything, uh, because of the sanctions and stuff. Uh, he had a knockoff, uh, Swiss army knife, you know? And I was like, this is literally a transformer of a knife. Like this thing can do everything. And eventually I bought one of those. So I had that help- helping me out throughout my earlier years and 
those two, I would say, would be the first. The the let's say the poor man's buck one ten, the, the poorest man man's buck, buck one ten. Yeah, that was the first knife, the first pattern actually to correct myself. Yeah, Swiss Army knives are like crazy useful. Mm-hmm. Like they they don't overly excel at one thing, but like being able to have that many different options for things, being able to get it done eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it. Uh, I remember it being used constantly just for everything and anything because obviously you were uh sparse with tools uh so everything like a multitude of that sort would be very very useful in and out of the, the kitchen the house etc it depends on the mo- model but i'm thinking it was something like the victorinox tinker but i'm not sure I, either way i i remember that one very specifically uh, yeah. because it had st- steel s- uh, scales you you and, always yeah, remember your first one. Hmm? Mm-hmm. You always remember your first one and your last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you have a cat, so we're not even going to bother with the dog questions. I love. I actually, actually I do have a dog. Oh, you do. Uh, oh, think, look, you redeemed yourself. Oh, I did. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know I had to, but uh, yeah, actually, um, because he's. Um, back home because because i'm not in my hometown where i was born i'm in novi sad as the second largest city of uh serbia but did you moving up yeah yeah moving up in the world <laughs> back in my hometown the dog now lives with my mother and uh that's a, a american staffordshire terrier oh. uh, dog yeah he, he's yeah. nine years old pretty big chunk of a uh, dog his yeah. name is Kion, and I, 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 I love that piglet, that giant piglet of a dog. Yeah, a very unique, very unique thing. That dog, you you could literally put your fingers in his eyes; it he would not react at all. But if he sees uh, another dog, another any animal, he he went after a horse at one time. The horse started running away. Uh, <laughs> and just for the record, yes, in Serbia you will eventually see a horse on the street. Do not judge me. <laughs> no, he's not. We have a farm at the end of our our street, and she has a horse that she'll walk down the middle of the street and take it on the trail and stuff near us. Like it's it's crazy. Like our little street is like the country in the middle of like a really big city. We're in the suburbs of Chicago, mm-hmm. so one of the one of the biggest cities in the United States, and all of us have like a little over an acre of land. Uh, not exactly sure what that computes to but we have like a yeah yeah but yeah have we have like a a bunch of garden space and uh like greenhouse and stuff and it's crazy that like this little spot dead end road that we're on doesn't like no city really wants to claim it so that's just perfectly fine by me makes sense kyle's the redneck of chicago yeah (laughs) as as her almost as redneck as you can come i grew up in southern indiana which is one state over mm-hmm. and yeah the i was the second male in my family not to go into the farming industry so my dad was the first one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay so a long long generation of a certain profession yeah I yeah we did a lot of farming my grandpa my great-grandfather uh had like this big uh 
farm in the area and they would they, it was called a it's called a grain elevator so they would grind mm-hmm. a lot of the grain for animals and stuff too that uh they would sell and my gra- my grandfather drove a lot of the semi stuff for that transporting it from the field to the elevator and then when they would sell it and uh my dad decided to be a teacher so uh, mm-hmm. kind of stepped away from the farming side yeah i mean mm-hmm. i'm thinking that's a it's a, it's a good choice of profession either way but i i think i would also choose not to work with children <laughs> yeah. yeah my dad my dad was seventh grade so that was like 13 12 13 year olds so like one of the the hardest yeah, yeah uh, i was gonna grades. say that yeah. <laughs> i i've been asked to coach a couple of times and i have to tell people look i can barely tolerate my children <laughs> i don't like kids i can barely tolerate mine <laughs> yeah. i i i hate whenever they would ask me to do kids class jujitsu, you know, to coach jujitsu. I was like, yeah, okay. I hate doing it. <laughs> and I always, I always make him do, um, physically straining exercises. So they, they get tired physically. Then they stop bothering me as much and just sh- shut up and listen. They, they do hor- horribly all the techniques that you show them, but at least they're quiet. And then they okay. become somebody else's problem. Exhausting them is a really standard uh, practice in parenting. Yeah, I mean, you either wear them out or you force feed them Benadryl. That's. <laughs> I mean, this is known. I've got twins that are six and a half, and it's really hard to wear them out. <laughs> I'm I'm too exhausted by the time they're exhausted. That's why you get a puppy. Oh, what? You got a puppy? Exactly. Well, I I don't know. Maybe you should. Uh, well, yeah. Um, we were talking before we started airing about the the forty dollars and how they would uh, learn the value of a dollar by doing chores, etc. But now that they got forty dollars as a gift, they won't do any chores. But <laughs> I was thinking you you could incentivize them <laughs> run around uh, run around the property five times for a dollar. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. I would do that constantly. Yeah, one uh, of our one of our friends they. Uh... They're down the road and she had her, uh, told them she would give them, uh, a quarter for every dandelion they picked out of the yard. It's kind of yeah. like a yellowish yeah, uh, weed. And, uh, they came back with like this five gallon bucket full. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, it was like $85 or something. Just, <laughs> I had to like greatly reduce the price for her dandelion after that. Wow. A friend of mine used to babysit, and she had the best scam ever. She'd take two $5 bills, hold a $5 bill, and put it on the wall, and they'd lean their head against it to hold it in place. And whoever stayed the longest could keep the $5 bill. And those kids would spend hours with their head pressed against the wall. The power of money. Yeah. The power of money. Yeah. Maybe I'll try that with a dollar bill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and her scam was, you know, she's getting paid like, 12 bucks an hour to babysit. So basically for the first hour of pay, she had them sitting still and quiet for, for many hours. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's genius. Right. I, I should be writing these things down for, yeah. for, for when, and I, when, and if I have a child so that I can do all this, then my kid is going to be leaning. Oh, like you don't have a child. I don't, I don't, <laughs> uh, but my kid is going to be leaning against the, the wall a lot. One of, one of the good things is uh, like when your sister-in-law or mother-in-law or 
whatever gives your kids like electronic toys that make lots of noise. Oh, tell, tell your kids, oh, they stop making batteries for that toy. Even uh, if it's like a double A or triple A battery, <laughs> like uh, they stop great. making batteries for that toy. My so, brother, my brother got a drum when he was little and <laughs> dad had hit, about day three was all dad could take. And he just looked at him and said, Hey, you ever wondered what's inside that thing to make all that noise? <laughs> and then just walked out of the room. And apparently it took about 30 minutes before my brother found a knife and cut it open. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to be coming to you guys for parenting advice. Because this <laughs> is genius. Oh, my brother gave Jack, my oldest, plastic ray gun that made 37 different obnoxious noises at ridiculous <laughs> volumes. Gave it to him for his birthday in November. So I'm like, all right. I started looking. I started looking. It took me about six weeks to find a child-sized steel drum. <laughs> but I gave it to his kid for Christmas. Yeah, yeah there's no cutting that thing open. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he called me Christmas morning. He's like, okay, truce. <laughs> we would not be on speaking terms. Like, don't, that would be the end of it. I would dis- disown my brothers if they ever done that. But... <laughs> That's definitely something I'm going to do for, for anybody that crosses me. Just kidding. Okay. Sounds wrong. Now for the important question, the question everybody actually listens for. <laughs> How did you meet your partner and where does it fall on the Dan Kyle scale? Um, first, Dan, Dan's end being I picked my wife up at her grandmother's wake. Yeah, I know. Kyle's end being he met his wife on a internet marriage site. Yeah, dating site. Uh, dating site. Sorry, I know. I know about your story. You, you told me, which uh, I have to say, um, given the circumstances, uh, I have to give you formal props for being able to pick somebody up at a wake, <laughs> anybody's wake, let alone their grandmother's wake. So it's easier than you think. They're, hmm? they're vulnerable. I said it's easier than you think. They're vulnerable. They're not really paying attention. It's not, you know, never mind. You're right. It was really, I mean, I, I am a man of skill. I, I am a true coxman. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Th- th- this podcast is going to be me la- laughing, like have, have the time. Uh, okay. So uh, me and my Nina, uh, we, um, before we, we got together, we're in a huge group of friends. By huge, I mean 15 people. Hey, just out of curiosity, is a cow involved in this story? A what? A cow. Uh, no, there's not, no cows. Okay, just checking. Just course. <laughs> I mean, it's just Eastern Europe. I, I always assume there was a cow involved in every no, story. When you think Eastern Europe, um, don't think so much about cows. I think about... Donkeys? Hmm? Donkeys? Describe the animals. Leather jackets, track suits, and think about poor quality street drugs. Mm. That yeah, that that's the setting more and gray socialist buildings. The, that's the, the hot, setting. skinny, junky, and the leather jacket that'll knife you. Um, yeah, but you're kind of describing a lot of the world right now. But yeah, uh, yeah, fair point. Anyway, okay, so, so um, back to you and your Nina. Yes. Um, <clears throat> by that time, I, I lived. I didn't live in the rural end of the city. I lived in literally the the city center and we knew each other for 10 years during those uh 10 years i was always under the impression that she was uh out of my league you know 
So I was always uh, was admiring her from afar. And for the longest time, I believed that she was out of my league. And I believe that to this day. So um, nothing has changed. The only thing that changed is that in the meantime, I worked up the courage and actually uh, one day, and this was actually uh, after my last relationship ended, uh, as a joke, uh, we were going out a couple of us as friends and they were going to help me feel better about uh, the breakup. And I was like, I'm totally okay with this, with the breakup, I mean. And they were like, oh, we're, we're going to find you somebody else. And as we were, we were walking back to the car, uh, I turned to Nina and I like, I don't know if you ever had that impulsive sense of courage where you're like, I'm either going to jump over this uh, Grand Canyon or I'm going to nosedive. And I was just, do you want to go on a date with me? Like literally those words. And she she didn't reply immediately. And she was like kind of quiet. And in my mind, like I could feel the pressure building up. I, I, I swear if she didn't say anything for one more second, my brains, brains would have blown out. Uh, and she was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Just like casually. Yeah. Okay. And as we were going, we said, yeah, we're going to take a different route home. And that, that was, that was our first date. Our first date was just us walking down the street and finding out the fact that, Hey, we actually knew each other for 10 years and we've been in relate relationships simultaneously, uh, during those 10 years, but we had a, obviously a lot in common as we were friends. And when we, figured out when we voiced the fact that we li liked each other, it became like, I, I don't know, it's um, a long lasting friendship that turned into a long lasting relationship. We've been together for six years now. Nemanja plays the long game. I get that. Uh, I as I said, it. in regards to the uh, knives, I've just started, but give me 10 years and <laughs> I'll be <laughs> you hear about me. <laughs> I'll, nice. I'll wear everybody down. <laughs> You'll like me eventually. It'd be easier just to start now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, if you don't, this this is a message to every knife enthusiast listening to this. I understand if you might not like my, my designs, but it's much easier to uh, appreciate them now because they're just not going to go away. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Please, uh, please uh, disregard the last statement. I want to stricken from the record. <laughs> we'll see if that happens. Yeah, it, you know what? Um, good news, bad news. It can be struck in from the record. Um, not sure how the Serbian dollar is comparing to the U.S. dollar right now, but it may cost you a little bit. Uh, one one uh, Serbian dinner is about $20, so I think you'll be fine. <laughs> well, the exchange rate has really changed since the last time Serbian, I was over there. Yeah, I, I think I have some coins here that can get you through a couple of years. <laughs> I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can open my own hotel. We could just stop this podcast, Dan. We're, we got all, we got all the money we need. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we the thunk it. Yeah. So that that's the. I, I, I didn't uh, give the story its due justice, unfortunately, because I didn't pre prepare it well. Uh, but all in all, it's a it's a classic. Uh, friends first that, that blossom into a relationship story. So yeah. I don't know where that falls on 
than, than this Kyle scale. The, well. It's wholesome. It's heartwarming. Yeah, that, that's some sappy ass Kyle shit right there. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, so, yeah I, I was about ready to like, or once I like, so being all over the computer when I hit like, do you want to meet for for real? Uh, I was like, eh. and then it that like I don't know ten minutes or something until I got a reply. I was just like, <laughs> holy cow, what I do? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that. I I looked Beth dead in the eye, handed another beer, said, "Hey, you're hot. You want to hook up?" And then you there was that. Did that at a wake? No, no, no. Okay, no. okay. I was going to fall off my chair right now. <laughs> No, was, no, no. I waited wait until she had like four, five, six beers, and then I just slid my arm around. You were lurking. You went lurking on a wake. Man, I should be jotting this, these things down. This is real knowledge. Yeah, you you got to be open to opportunities. You never know when, when something's going to present. Exactly. Like, like the, the, this came from the uh, Amazon rainforest. Who the, who the thunk it? Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. one's more shocked than I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's... Uh, yeah, what's your... I have to ask you for a, because a, a question. As you said, we uh, the three of us, Nicola, you, and I, we were exiled to the, the far edge of the camp. Yep. Uh, how... Uh, what was your opinion uh, being separated from the rest of the group and being with us, with, with us speaking Serbian uh, between us? Were you like, ah, foreigners? Or were you like, okay, well, this is going to be interesting? Or what was your thought process during that time? Well, I mean, first you'll notice that I was out there setting up my camp. And I was I was well, well along the process of setting up a camp. And then, you know, these two aliens came walking in across the border, just not even a, a buy your leave. And they just start setting up camp right there on top of me. So at first I'm like, well, shit, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> there, goes, there goes the real estate value. <laughs> And then once I figured out y'all were speaking another language, that was great for me because I thought the Hiawasa had already kicked in and it was going to be a rough <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> um, okay. But uh, no, actually, it was really cool. You know, y'all were y'all took it a chance coming out there next to me because at first I'm like, well, I, I actually came all the way out here to get away from people. And then pleasantly surprised, it turns out I like both of you and you were interesting people to hang out with. Um <laughs> And with my accent, I really couldn't always tell when you were speaking Serbian. Ah, okay. <laughs> you could always just disregard whatever we said. <laughs> you know, I did, I can tell if it was English, Serbian, Spanish. You know, I, t- I I don't do these things. We did our best in every language, and I can assure you, everything we said, whatever language language it was, it was mostly useless shit and swearing. <laughs> really, what I kept hearing was, Mr. Eastland, you are truly a god among men, and thank you for blessing us with your presence. Just, you know, random stuff like that is mostly... No, that's true. That's completely true. That is mostly in Spanish. And, <laughs> and the little Matisse that we picked up. Anyway, I interrupted you. You had a question? Oh, we got a lot of questions. Like, there's a list of them and everything. Oh, I your background. Agree. So, um, you grew up semi-rural. I mean... Uh, not on a farm, but you weren't, uh, you weren't seriously urban. So mm-hmm. a lot of time in the outdoors. Like what was, uh, what's your background? Uh, background in uh, which sense of the word? Um, really? I'm going to keep it kind of open-ended. Uh, 
uh, my original intent was to angle towards, you know, what's your background getting into knives, but really mm-hmm. um, a lot of places in the U S most of the listeners that are, are U S based can go, Oh, okay. I kind of get a, a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I've since learned that y'all's high school system is entirely different than ours. Mm-hmm. Well, it's better, I think. Um, but you know, just, I, I guess uh, we'll skip to the part where your, your day job is a graphics designer. Yeah. Um, you know, how did you get from, from that to this? Uh, it's a, it's not actually a, a linear story and it, it, it's, it is going to sound pretty confusing to most of, uh, m- most American listeners, actually most people who are not, uh, not familiar with the Serbian educational system. Uh, the thing is I went to a, a primary school, which school is the first elementary or primary for you guys? Kind of same, same as I understand it. Yeah. Okay, elementary. So we have, we have eight, first eight uh, years. So that's, we have eight, eight years and then we have four years of high school and then we have university. So as, as you uh, yeah, make, make the jump from uh, the, let's say, elementary school to high school, that's, that's probably not the best uh, um, analogy, so, but as soon as you get to, to high school, you have to pick, you can pick like a classic high school, this, the, the way you, you, you guys have them, we call them gymnasiums. And that's where you, you have, a, it's a broad stroke of, um, of classes, but most high schools are split into uh, three, uh, three years and four years, and that's like lower and upper. But every high school has a vocation attached to it. So you have uh, uh, high schools, and I, I finished uh, a high school that certified me as a veterinary technician. But I also got my high school education through, through that. So that's how it usually goes. You, you finish your high school, and you're automatically certified to do some type of job. Whether or not you're going to continue in that uh, trade is your, your own thing. The majority of the high schools are like trade schools that we would think of. So you would finish high school Mm -hmm. ready to become, to become a carpenter or a plumber or a vet tech or. Yeah. A lot of stuff. And some, would, and uh, there's varying grades, you know, you you even have uh, to become a, uh, a graphic designer to become a um, um, prostitute. Um, no, 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 that, that, um, how do you say that, that comes with the territory. Do you just learn that stuff? On your own? <laughs> That's general ed. Yeah. Yeah. General. Yeah. But all in all, yeah. That, or, uh, um, not a nurse, but a medical technician. That's like a person that is allowed to work with patients under the supervision of, uh, yeah. medical personnel. So everybody has some sort of trade. You graduate with a useful career. Uh, Maybe I mean, not the one you choose, but it's a useful career. Yeah, I mean, I, I still, I know when something's wrong with my pets. So if that's all I, I got from high school, I'm happy with that. You know, um, I know how to remove a tick. I know um, if any animal has tapeworms and stuff like that, or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I know how to make the dog barf up, barf up the chocolate that they ate, or <laughs> a suspicious brownie. You know, the usual. Um, but after that, I, I always actually wanted to be a veterinarian because I love animals. I really, honestly, from, 
um, age five, I wanted to be a, a, a vet. Uh, and um, the thing was, when you become a veterinary technician, you figure one thing out. Only um, people who work with uh, cats and dogs are the ones who are allowed to do the job that they think that they're doing. In other <laughs> words, they're working for the animal, for the betterment of the animal, animal, their health and their well-being. Whereas if um, you're working at a far, farm or uh, a cattle ranch or something like that, you're working for the owner. And most of the time, the owner may ask you to do something that is objectively unethical. Uh, for instance, a healthy animal that can be uh, saved for very little money, he chooses not to because he doesn't want to invest the money. But you can't make him spend even a modicum of money to save it. So we would see an awful lot of these these thing, things and we would try to, what's the word? Um, go think? out of our way to, to, to uh, not charge them to not... Yeah. Uh, turn certain animals into sausages, etc. But at the end of the day, you just can't do pro bono work constantly. And there, there's only so many piglets you can uh, inocu inoculate before, you know, you've been doing this for 12 hours and you can't feel your hands, etc. And then I just realized I love animals way too much to be a veterinary technician or a vet in, in Serbia. So the, the dream died violently. And Basically, at that time, I took uh, what I thought was a br break, one year break from school in general. And I wanted to figure out what I'm going to do, what university I'm going to go to. And by that time, I started mixed martial arts. And then my whole perspective changed. And I, wa I wanted to be a professional mixed martial artist. And combat sports were the only thing that was on my mind all day, every day, judo, kickboxing, MMA, judo, kickboxing, MMA, etc., etc. And so did you say anime? MMA, but oh, okay, anime that, as well. Yes, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense. Everybody hears what they want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no. Um, uh, so yeah, judo, kickboxing, and anime. Uh, but and, and then I wanted to become an, um, a professional MMA fighter, and I had. At that time, we had very uh, limited opportunities for uh, amateur uh, fights. So I wanted to go directly to, to pros. And during the camp, I got injured. That's, why, that's when they uh, removed my spleen because it burst. That's why I have the scar on, the, on my stomach, as, you, as you've seen in the, in the Amazon, uh, where they delicately cut me open like a purse. Hey, what happens in the Amazon stays in the Amazon. We don't need to talk about comparing scars or how we got them or if they're physical or emotional. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, although, side that. note, uh, yeah. the spleen rupture from impact or infection? Uh, no, 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 from impact, actually. I can describe the, if anybody is familiar with combat sports, I'll describe the situation. It's simple. It was uh, during submission wrestling, he, uh, he shot a, a, a power double leg and I grabbed the guillotine at the same time and we drove off the mats and onto concrete onto my left side and the spleen is located under the uh, ribs on the left side next to the stomach and the impact ruptured it. But I didn't feel the pain. I didn't actually, it felt like getting your wind knocked out of you, but you can breathe. 
So I was, I was just like, okay, shake it off, continue. So I kept going to practice for five days afterwards. And by the fifth day, I was feeling pretty bad. But everybody yeah, was that's was called feeling... being septic. Hmm? I said, that's called being septic. <laughs> no, no, I, di I didn't get, get an infection. Oh, really? Uh, wow. No, no, no. I didn't get an infection. I actually, the good thing was that my, uh, my um, it, it, it didn't uh, go through my uh, diaphragm. So it didn't uh, push up my lungs. It stay, stayed all in my abdominal area. And oh. the good part about that is it can distend. Yeah. Um, that enabled me to continue like being alive without uh, <laughs> impacting my breathing or uh, my heartbeat, etc. But the last training, I remember it was a Friday and uh, Friday was reserved for uh, sparring. And I was like, I was just covering up my le left side, you know, like punch me in the face, how you want to kick me anything. <laughs> just don't kick me in the le left side at all. And after it was done, I was complaining uh, like my side hurts. And then the friend was, uh, had a broken ear and he said, oh, my ear hurts. And this guy had, has a bru bruised uh, hip, um, like a groin injury. You know, everybody was b being messed up. And then one guy uh, comes up and he was like, do you guys want aspirin? And I was like, yeah, give me aspirin. And that thins the blood. And that night I collapsed. And that's a... Um, it was a blessing in disguise because then they took me to the doctor. They figured out what was the problem and they had a, a emergency sur surgery. Uh, internal bleeding. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting part is that during the operation, because the, the volume of blood in my abdomen was so much that the, the sudden blood pressure caused my heart to stop. So I, I actually can't say that I have been dead for a minute. I know th this for a fact because my mom uh, got informed of this by the doctor during the operation, which I think was the the dick move that that doctor could have pulled. Good uh, news, bad news. Yeah. Bad yeah. news is your son is dead. Good news is I brought him back. <laughs> he actually had, like, like, this is how she told me. And my mom, she's she, she's cold steel. She You can't nudge that woman. She She's... She's from Austro-Hungarian heritage, you know. So she's okay. She's stone cold, and you won't see, you you won't get a reaction out of her. So the doctor comes up and he says, "Your son's heart stopped," and he had a dramatic pause in the sentence. And then he says, "But we were able to to use the defib the defibrillators and uh, revive him. Uh, he's still in um, he, he's not in a, sta a still unstable condition, but we're still working on it. Everything will be fine." And my, mo my mother was like, phrasing, learn to phrase better. Yeah, and I just like, that's the only thing he, he, he said, just phrase it better next time. <laughs> and that's it. And my girlfriend at the time, she was just bawling out. She thought she, she was going <laughs> to be, be a teen widow, you know. All in all, so yeah. they brought me back to life, unfortunately. Uh, just kidding. And uh, that, that's when my... Um, then I couldn't get licensed to fight professionally, but but I got got to fight uh, as an amateur. I had one fight, one one win, a submission win, four seconds before the end of the round, and then I said, okay, now I have to give up this dream and focus on education. So I enrolled in, in university and studied philosophy. Uh, during that time, I worked as a journalist for a MMA news portal. I wrote about um, upcoming fights. Uh, I was basically. Um, 
combat sports press. I'm still actually a UFC certified, have UFC press credentials, so I can uh, still get into the UFC events for oh. free. Oh, if you come to the States. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I still reply to those emails, you know, asking for info and stuff just, just to keep it, you know? Yeah, do, do. I know. We're going to abuse some privileges. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people in the business now, so the MMA business, so. Oh, I know. I know. Don't think we won't be name dropping, too. No, okay. <laughs> any, any strings you can pull with my name, feel free. <laughs> and anyway, as I was uh, doing that, now to uh, confuse people furthermore, when I was at the, 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 the first memory I ever, ever had have of myself was drawing. That was like my childhood escapism from everything that was going on. And drawing was always a hobby. And now as a university stu- student who is struggling financially, who is surviving on $20 a month, I'm not even kidding. A friend of mine said, look, we have this uh, Australian guy. He needs some illustrations. Uh, do you want to consider drawing them? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm going to make $50. I'm going to live like a king for a month. <laughs> I'll be rich. Yeah, I'm rich. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to shovel any snow. <laughs> um, the thing was, he, he said he needs 21 illustrations. And I was like, $50 for 25 illustrations. I'm getting, get, getting I'm breaking the bank here. And the thing is, uh, she told me, don't offer a price. Tell him to give you an offer. And I told, told him, so, okay, what's your desired budget for this project? I'm going to try to fit within it. And he says, oh, we're not trying to uh, go overboard on this. Our budget for this is uh, $2,100. And I was just sitting there at 2100 Is that 210 Is that more or less than 50 Is that? And, and I, I was just like gripping the table. And I swear there's, there's finger marks on the other on, on, on underside of the table. He said $2,000. I have never seen that much money in my life. And... Obviously, I accepted. I did the work. It was no problem. And immediately, I bought uh, a computer. I bought all the equipment, and I just started learning everything I needed to to learn. And I didn't plan on doing this as a profession to be a designer. And I chose to call myself uh, not even a graphic designer, but just a designer because now I design knives, I design logos, I design pins, I design everything. And, uh, I want to design furniture as well. So I like to keep just the, mon- the moniker of designer. Anyway, so I would up- upload my illustrations to uh, a Tumblr blog, actually. And it started going viral. And then I got noticed by several big companies. And I don't know if you're familiar with the band uh, Bring Me the Horizon, maybe. It doesn't ma- matter, but um, the, the front man of the band has, a, he has, I think, about 3 million followers on Instagram. Anyway, so he found my work through Tumblr and he was like, I want you to do an illustration for my brand. And all of a sudden I became recognized as an illustrator. And then that became my job. Uh, fast forward. Now I'm an art, art director for a company based in LA called Strike Gently Co. We design pins mostly. So shout out to Charlie and the rest of the team uh, back in LA. And I've been working with them for seven years simultaneously designing 
whatever I have chosen to design, you know, and um, dabbling from street art to, uh, as I said, uh, furniture and, of course, knives. Now, I have done custom knives with knife makers. I would design and they would uh, manufacture them. But I always wanted to have a production knife. And this is where the, the whole collaboration with uh, Condor comes about because this is, the, and I told Joe this when we first met Joe Flowers, of course, of Bushcraft Global, of the Machete fame, of Condor fame. Uh, I told him it, 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 it's a dream of mine to have a production knife with, with Condor and lo and behold, it's happening. And that's a very broad background answer. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, that's from A to knives. So, um, decided not to be a vet tech, mm -hmm. got into professional fighting, got hit so hard your spleen burst, nearly died. I won that fight though. <laughs> Attaboy. <laughs> See, there, there's, there's the attitude I'm looking for. Yeah. Was, um, was dead for a minute. Yeah, it was dead for a minute. <laughs> saw the light and became a graphic, uh, graphic designer. Uh, based on, you know, side note, freaking get you to do a little design work for me. I, uh, I ask you how much and you give me the, oh, well, what's your budget? How much money did I leave? Them? No, you know what? Don't tell me. I don't want to know how much money I left on the table. Shady Serbian. <laughs> I never um, know. His prices, his prices came up quite a bit since then. Yeah. <laughs> well, his clientele has dropped. It's crazy. <laughs> um, I've always had an affinity for outdoors, the for knives. Uh, you haven't mentioned that you are what I would consider an adventure tourist, uh, yeah, which that, we might that, want to touch on. Yeah, uh, I so, never figured to mention that. Um, let's see, we've done uh, Chernobyl. We've yeah. done... Active war zones. We've done <laughs> Siberia. Do you want to uh, what are some of the other garden spots you've chosen? Uh, an active volcano. You camped on the the rim, on the side of an active volcano. No, no, no. that's that's uh, that's something that we're going to do. That, that's oh. for this year. Oh, so that's not done yet. So no. No, theoretically, no. a slightly chubby, somewhat out of shape, older, obnoxious American could still have an opportunity to get in on that. Absolutely, yes. And uh, it was ve very much under wraps before you just blew the lid on it. Uh, we, 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 we keep most of our trips under wraps until they happen because we always have some situations. Oh, okay, as far as my uh, adventuring goes... We can get Kyle to edit most of that out. So that I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's not, it's not, it's not a real issue. Who cares? And I was <laughs> making notes, man. Okay. <laughs> I'm not... So, yeah. Yes. I Canada. Okay, I mess with people. I don't get messed with. I don't know if you've watched, listened to the show before. You're obviously unclear on the dynamic. I have to bleep Dan's language a lot. Oh, do do I have to? Uh, <laughs> how, how am I, uh, I should avoid using swear words. Yes, that's no, right. No, it gives Kyle something to do when he's editing. Otherwise, yeah, he gets bored, and it's just a quick run through. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, so, well, yeah, um, when I was in university, I was roommates with a friend and we were both, um, how do I put this delicately, um, poverty stricken peasants. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> knaves. 
uh, and we would daydream about, oh, one day we're going to travel the Trans-Siberian Railway and we're going to go to Tibet and we're going to go to Japan. And we're like, you didn't even leave, leave the country. Where, where the hell will you travel? So uh, come 2018, I think, was the first time we went on a serious trip. And it was, it was two months in Asia and we traveled the whole length of the Trans-Siberian Railway from one end to the other. We went to Japan, we went to Mongolia, Gobi Desert to China, to um, Belarus, obviously everywhere in Europe. We uh, uh, Then we went to the Caucasus region. We, we went, that what Dan said by active war zones, we, we knew that, uh, for instance, this was back in 2019, that Armenia and Azerbaijan have very bad relations because of Nagorno-Karabakh region. So if you go into one country, you're not allowed to go into the other country. So it poses a slight challenge to go into one and then into the other. Not unlike a situation I had earlier this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we tried it and we did it. We managed to do exactly that. We went from Armenia to Georgia to, uh, to Azerbaijan. So that was interesting. Then we went to Ukraine for the first time in 2019. Then we went to Chernobyl. Then after that... I went to the Amazon for the first time, Colombia, Brazil, Peru, the region. Uh, uh, after that, after that, we wanted to go actually to Syria. That's why we, we that's what we, what we really wanted to do. But they, they denied us the visa. Like that, that was such a low point for us. You know, when not even Siberia, or when uh, uh, not was, even Syria would take you. That, yeah. that was that was the low point in your life. I was just like, really, really, am I, I'm not, I'm, how, I'm not even, not only am I not a threat, but my money is not even good enough. <laughs> like, but yeah, then we wanted to go to Russia now. And uh, because we're the uh, only country that hasn't uh, imposed sanctions on Russia because we are historical allies with uh, uh, Russia. But the thing is, a lot of Russians are now coming to uh, Serbia, which means that the tickets have gone up because Serbian business, and we couldn't afford the plane tickets to go to Russia. Russia. Um, so we went to Moldova to go to uh, this breakaway state called Transnistria or Pridnistrovlje. This is an autonomous country that's unrecognized by everybody, and uh, the only countries that recognize it are other countries that nobody else recognizes. Other breakaway countries. Exactly. You know, like nobody, right? And they're, interestingly enough, they're the only country, country quote unquote, uh, that uses composite plastic coins. Hmm. So when we're talking monopoly money, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, okay I'm not going to joke about any Transnistrians because I really enjoyed my time there. But the thing is, it's an interesting place because uh, it's, it, it wanted to stay with the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union was breaking apart. And the thing, the interesting thing was, while this, their conflict with Moldova was going on, the Soviet Union collapsed and they remained in exactly <laughs> the same, uh, how do I say, um, structure as the Soviet Union. So you go there now and you still see the hammer and sickle everywhere and Lenin and Stuff like that. And if you ever wanted to visit the Soviet Union, you need to go to Transnistria. It's it, it's literally a parallel universe. And anyway, that's very very near Ukraine, and we don't need a visa to go to Ukraine. So we figured, why don't we go to U Ukraine, where we can go to Odessa, that's on the shore of the Black Sea, uh, 
uh, we won't, we don't have to go too close to Donbass and Luhansk and the more dangerous parts of the country. So we went, you know, where people are shooting each other. No, no place was a safe place per se, but we were in the safer place. Let's call it like that. Yeah. And we, we went in the Odessa Oblast, that's the, the Odessa region. And we went as far as we could because at one point they just don't allow civilians and uh, we were foreigners and we didn't want to push our luck because the whole Russia being our uh, historical ally type thing didn't go over well with them. You know, so we were pushing our luck a bit, but we didn't push it too much. But it was... You're already too pretty, pretty to go to jail. <laughs> you, th- you think I'd be the one? I'd be fine in jail. Just kidding. Okay, that's, that sounds wrong. <laughs> You you are, you said that we're taller than everybody else by uh, uh, by uh, head and shoulders. So yeah. I don't think anybody's going to go to the uh, get the biggest guy. <laughs> I'm going to have my pick. <laughs> oh no no no! You're going to be my girlfriend. Yeah, hold, hold my pocket. Just kidding. I, um, I have no idea what that means. I don't. Get that reference. You you didn't watch. Uh, uh, Prison Break, yep. you know, it's, it's, um, if you have, um, okay, I'm going to have a bleep this out. If you have, have a, then he, uh, you, you put your pocket inside out and then they have to hold the pocket. Your pocket, uh, that means that you're, they're your property. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'd never heard of it. Yep. Now, you know, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, would you hold my pocket? <laughs> What? Would you hold my pocket? Just for a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, we digress. Yeah. Um, Very digressed. Ukraine decided not to push things because, you know, they're at war with your traditional ally. Yep. So we, we saw the, the country. We, um, we saw it in two lights uh, in 2019 when it was stable and normal and now when it was less so obviously, but we more uh, focus on what's conventionally called dark tourism. For instance, visiting ossuaries, visiting uh, old abandoned creepy places. Let's call it like that. For instance, we went to a uh, uh, former Yugoslav communist uh, forced labor camp called Goli Otok that's uh, in Croatia. Uh, um, and that's, We might also think of that as a concentration camp. Uh, yeah, we, we tend to use the term forced labor camp because... Yeah, but it was a concentration camp and it's abandoned, but it's still standing. And when we were there, we camped on that. It's an island prison and we camped there. And I actually spent a night in one of the cells, the isolation cells that still has a, a bed. And the bed is actually just one piece of wood. And it was the creepiest experience I've ever had. It was so creepy. It actually made me laugh. It was so creepy. And I'll give you just a, qu- a quick um example I, I was walking to the other side of the island where the uh the uh, I- isolation uh, cells were and i turned off my flashlight to get used to the dark because there's only moonlight there and far into the distance i see a pair of eyes glowing eyes and i'm like this is this is literally b b horror movie type stuff this isn't happening then another pair of eyes and I'm like, okay, these are not eyes. These are fireflies or something like that. And then they blink. And at this point, you're like, this is incredibly stupid. I'm going to go further. <laughs> and then I'm like, 
Dude, hey, what's that noise know? in the basement? Let's go down and see. Uh, you know, you know the, the guy in the horror movies that dies first? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. And <laughs> so I'm looking o- over uh, at those eyes and eyes keep popping up. And I start, start, start laughing. Like, this is hysterically funny. And I take a rock and I throw it in a general direction. And as I do, all the eyes disappear. And I'm like, what the hell? And then they start reappearing in other uh, direct directions. And I'm like, okay, there's a logical explanation to this. And I do not have time now. I need to get to the cells. As soon I need as to possible. go to the much creepier place where people died horrible deaths. <laughs> uh, well, when you put it like that, it sounds stupid. But yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. So I get there and I take out my phone to, t- to take a photo of the entrance to the cells. And there's a cell, uh, the entrance to the cell block and there are three guard windows up above them and i take out my cell phone to take a photo and you know how iphone photo uh, 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 phones have those yellow uh, squares when they pick up a face and yeah. for a second it picked up a face in the window and i take a photo and there was nothing there obviously it was just like a bug and it it was just dust in the air and everything but i started laughing like how creepier can this thing get oh, come on you know and anyway, by that time, I was already exhausted from being on that uh, uh, searing uh, island for an entire day. So I cleaned that board up and had a makeshift bed. You can actually see this on my Instagram if you're uh, curious. I think it's even in, in English for dark tourist slash knife enthusiasts. But I slept very calmly and then something woke me up at four in the morning. Something was banging on the uh, floor above and i was like i'm I'm not gonna bother with this like if i'm gonna die here i'm gonna die here it was a breeze obviously it was a breeze the fo- the square in the photo was just dust and then i figured out what the eyes were i as soon as i woke up i went back there to try to see anything like i was hoping to see i don't know devil devil's footprints and whatnot uh but there was actually one r- room no, one, uh, one object. And I went inside to see what it was because it had a lot of old uh, furniture and stuff. And I saw a dead sheep in there. And then I realized um, the, the people from neighboring islands and from the coast, they bring their sheep over to the island to graze. And then they don't have to uh, pay fees for... Uh, for uh, to rent land to graze their... Yeah, so they would just bring them over by boat and then take them back, and some would have some were left over, and then they obviously multiplied. Who knows? But it, they, they were sheep because sheep eyes glow in the dark. And if anybody's curious, just Google uh, uh, sheep's eyes glowing in the dark, and you'll see how creepy that is. And I imagine seeing that hundreds of meters away in the dark on a uh, in a concentration abandoned concentration camp uh, from. Yeah communist Yugoslavia. But so apparently you don't need to be intelligent to be a graphic designer. <laughs> well, I like to consider myself curious more, more than stupid. <laughs> well, I mean, you're already down one life, so you, you might want to see cat and curiosity. Well, yeah, as you said, this cat has seven more lives to go. Yeah. yeah. All right, we have thoroughly digressed, although... That wealth of knowledge from, shall we say, adventure tourism has got to have served you well. It did. How does one go from 
overpaid graphic designer, uh, adventure tourist, uh, international man of mystery to now professional knife designer? Like, how did you how did you make that leap? Uh, have you ever heard of the term the uh, the creative adult is the child that survived? Something I'm, maybe I'm paraphrasing that a little bit, but it's I, I still consider myself the same thirteen year old boy who. Uh, just wants to do stuff. And if it means going to a war zone to see what it's like, then that's what I'm going to do. And as I'm getting older, I'm finding out that less stuff is impossible. And it relies way more on my effort and willingness to do it. So as soon as I talk to Joe and, and he's, I've, I've been a fan of Joe Flowers for years, and I'm talking literally for years, I had his cookie uh, as my uh, main tool for uh, the woods for God knows how long. Anyway, uh, so when he says that my ideas were good, I was like, this is this is all the validation I need. I I now need to focus on this. And for a while, I, I focused extremely hard on designing knives. I have I'm well over 300 sketches done of various knife designs. And you know, like I see, I hate you a little bit less now. Okay. Thank you. But it's important that you hate me. I would feel very bad if you had a good opinion of me. <laughs> okay. 300 designs. Sorry for interrupting. You. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I would sketch them out and then I would always say, I'll sleep on this. And if I really like it, then I'll continue designing it. And then I wake up and I'll say, dad, this is, I'll say, it's I'll, I'll say these designs are um, not that good. The, I wouldn't like the ergonomics. It would be way too much, um, way to be too, too uh, forward or the handle to blade ratio would be way off. The, the general aesthetics would be off. And I, I never got to a design where I was like, yeah, that's the one. And when I got to a selection of a few that were okay, then those got a couple of dozen redesigns. And even like, even after short show 2023, I was uh, I was co uh, um, in contact with one of the Condor's engineers, and I was like, "Can we do one slight little modification?" And he just flat out didn't even reply to me. So <laughs> I understand. I, I'm um, I get a little bit obsessive when I start designing stuff, and um, that's basically what happened. And these these two knives that are coming out now, Jalka and uh, Zoya, I, I don't know if I, I have them here. They're really uh, Zoya. Looking. Yeah, there's uh, pictures of Zoya, the Zoya, the Zoya. singer, right? Uh, yeah, no, no that's Zhaoka. Oh, Zhaoka. Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah that's that one. It. There's pictures in my Instagram from uh, Shot Show of that one. Yeah, and this is the one that I. This, this is an old version, so the newer version. Since I'm describing it, it has no ricasso, and I've uh, changed it to a, a scandi grind. All, all, in, all in all, the whole point is to have a, a good blade, blade control and um, firm grip for an XL sized hand, while also being comfortable for a smaller sized, medium to small sized hand. And I actually, not me, but uh, the philosophy within Serbia is usually you have a knife for life. You know, so th this isn't a new concept. Everybody knows this. And there's a whole history behind this. Like uh, in World War II, there was 
um, sparsity of uh, bayonets, weapons, etc. So they would make shift them out of uh, quality kitchen knives. So then they would take those and make them their, um, what we would consider now uh, EDC fixed knives, but they would use them for farm work and everything. And the thing is, uh, when whatever I drew, I didn't think of it as a, a knife for a, a specific thing. So every knife could be an, e <clears throat> an EDC knife, a bushcraft knife. Uh, it should be slicey, it should be pointy, it should be this, it should be that. It should be able to do all the jobs that a person might need during the day or in a specific line of work, uh, as long as they use it all the time. In other words, make it their knife for, for life. Because my personal philosophy of knives is there is no one perfect knife that anybody can uh, design. So um, what I honestly really believe is that you, how do I say this? You get a knife, you fall in love with it, and then you use it. The more you use it, the better you get at it. And it doesn't matter if the ergonomics are off or this, this or that you will get better at using it by using it. So that's, I want to make it as best as possible for the person who will use it for their entire life. But basically, if you like it enough, you'll figure out a way to use it. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen this over and over again. And I like this uh, thing of uh, th this repurposed kitchen knife used as a, a military knife. It's, it's just not suitable, but they made it happen, you know? Well, so you go back to... 1600 1700s american expansion the mm -hmm. the sheath knife fighting knife hunting knife everything knife mm -hmm. was typically what we would today think of as a kitchen knife that they just put in a sheath i mean that's yeah. that's a pretty consistent story for lack of a better term characteristic throughout the world yeah uh, yeah it, it actually makes perfect sense obviously i don't know why i presume that it would be um, specific to my uh, my region, but all in all, um, yes, some knives are better for some jobs. But at the same time, I would uh, I would ideally like to design a knife for a person who would pick them up and then just use it for their entire life and be like, "This is the only knife I need." Where obviously it, it doesn't work like that. We're all knife enthusiasts. I don't know how, how many dozens of knives you guys got, but I have several. Okay, it's it's in the dozens and not in the hundreds, but I, I don't have one knife. Hey, those are rookie uh, numbers, yeah. son. You got you to gotta get those numbers up. Come on now. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> and look, like I already have Kyle's Instagram open and I'm sc scrolling uh, <laughs> through his stuff. So, you know, all in all, I'm going to expand my collection of knives, uh, both of yours and your knives, because I don't have one of your Magna Cut knives and I need that. Just, just a little advice from your old Uncle Dan. If you're not in the hundreds by the time you get married, it's going to set some false expectations for your wife and it's going to be an <laughs> uphill struggle to fully fill out that collection. You know, I actually have a very good uh, trick that I do. She's probably not going to listen to this because she's not in, into, the into the knives. Oh, no wives listen to this, man. You can say anything you want. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, she thinks I make an X amount of money, but I make X ta uh, times two, you know? So, no, actually, <laughs> <laughs> X plus 50% of X, if you get what I mean. Yeah, 
So and that's the, the, the 50% is the knife budget. Yeah. So if for you ask her, every knife is $20. Yeah. So on one hand, hand, brilliant. Absolutely, unquestionably brilliant. But let me give you some old guy uh, married <laughs> advice. Okay. At some point, it, it sounds like you have the intent that at some point you're going to marry this poor, unfortunate woman that'll be stuck with you. <laughs> And when you do, she's going to get a glimpse of your finances. And here's the deal. Once you're married, the truth is going to come out. And the longer it takes, the worse it's going to be. So right now, I mean, once y'all set a date, you've got an end point. You're going to need to slowly show increases in your income so that by the time you're married, you're being honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can continue to lie about the cost of things. That's easy enough to hide. You can you can lose a receipt, cash deals. You can't track it. But yeah. just just a little word of advice from your old Uncle Dan. <laughs> She's going to find out. There's never a lie or a deception you can get past a wife. Eventually, they find out. There was a story that I saw where uh, the guy got married and she was like doing the taxes. <clears throat> and she's like, you're like significantly wealthy. And he's like, yeah, my, my grandfather invented the slinky. I don't know if you know, like the, yeah, yeah I know. Um, yeah. I know. He's like, my grandfather invented the slinky and I have the like royalty rights to, for every slinky they make, they pay me some money. And she's like, you're like, like really rich. <laughs> she had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's going to be my story. <laughs> I'm going to use that story. My grandfather invented the slinky. That's that's why I have so many knives. And then uh, the other the other funny one is uh, my my greatest uh, my greatest worry is if I ever die, my wife will sell all my stuff for how much I told her I paid for. It. <laughs> <laughs> the other issue you can run into is I've got a buddy. That... Sorry, sorry, didn't mean to. to, to <laughs> If you don't snort a little bit, you haven't really been a guest. Yeah, my, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. A, a couple of my buddies that are car guys have like voiced that concern. Yeah, this turbo I bought is only five hundred dollars. Really, like three thousand dollars. I would be spinning in my grave like, like a turbine. I swear. I actually. Well, would it make you honest, feel better or worse knowing that it was your friends that were like, "Oh no, didn't he only pay five hundred bucks for that?" You're a widow. It's used. I'll give you four seventy five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, as far as my knives go, um, I told my friend, who's also a knife enthusiast, I told him, if I die, you can have him. She gets everything, but he gets the knife because he knows the prices. Nice. Yeah. 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 So everyone is to... banking on me kicking the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Life. you also have to be careful of situations like a friend of mine. Whenever he did a cash deal, he just hid the cash in his truck because that's the one place his wife. I mean, she'd ride in the truck, but she never went through it. Uh -huh. So at one point, he had thousands of dollars hidden in his truck, and someone broke into the truck, and he wow. is significantly upset. And his wife is getting on to him about overreacting. She's like, "They didn't even get anything. Like your computer and everything were in the house. They, I mean." What they they got your bag? Like it's no big deal. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like, no, thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh crap! Wow, that's note to self. Yeah, yeah. note to self. Note to self. Yeah, I don't know. 
as we like to say on this show, it is better, it is cheaper to learn from our mistakes than you than making them yourself. Smart, very smart. Yeah. Learn from other people. You know, it's also uh, one place that I've uh, hidden money. I'm not actually glad that I did, did this, but hide it somewhere that people generally don't like to touch. No, you're going to see, but uh, I have, if you see in the, the corner, a bear. I have uh, a yeah. in the skulls. And yep. people are gen generally eked out by skulls. And yep. uh, I can... One was a medical teaching instrument, uh, so it was bisected, so you can open it up. And if ever I wanted to put something that nobody wants to see, I just put, put it there. And <laughs> yeah, so my advice to you is get some human skulls in your house. Okay, that was a Jeffrey Dahmer moment. I'm sorry, everybody forget. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm not the creepy one yeah. anymore. What, all of a sudden? <laughs> well, hey, don't worry. I'm about to jump back on that because uh, if you've got kids... Um, Diaper pail is the best place to hide your uh, money. Not drugs, <laughs> money. The diaper pail is the best place. Uh, I mean, right. You can straight up tell a cop that it's in there and he's not going in to get it. Uh, I love the drug money. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get this back on. Yeah. On, okay. Yeah, back on yeah. Design <laughs> principles. Yeah. Um, this is where you and I tend to vary uh, pretty dramatically. Um, but I'm here to, to admit that you have two patterns with a company and I have none. So apparently there can be more than one overwhelming design principle. Well, okay. When well, you okay. go to design a blade, like blank sheet of paper, what's your starting point? Well, okay. Uh, if I may answer that with a question, why do you think... What, what points do you think that are that we have that are so uh, at odds? That where are the discrepancies? Based no. on our conversations in the jungle. No, no, no. I know because. But, yeah. uh, no, well, I was just it, it, this didn't <clears throat> just come out of my ass. Like we've we've talked about this a little. Bit. I mean, okay, but, okay, but, no. okay. So, so I, I my basic guiding principle, and I want to be clear. We we tend to come wind up at the same point, but we start in different places. Mm -hmm. my basic design principle is I say, what is the purpose of this blade? And then anything that helps that purpose, I add anything that takes away from that purpose, I remove. And then everything that's neutral, it becomes an aesthetic. So mm -hmm. I start with a tool of questionable look and then try to find neutral or positive ways to improve the aesthetic because as an old mentor told me, if they don't pick it up off the table, they'll never know it's a good knife. Mm -hmm. From our conversations, and it makes sense with your, your graphics art background, you start with, with shape, with lines, with the aesthetic. And then you, so you start from the aesthetic and try to work to the functional. And I start with the functional and try to work to the aesthetic. That's actually a very uh, good way that, that you phrased it. And that might actually be a very good definition between a knife maker and a knife designer, that, that which is the starting point. Uh, now, as I've mentioned before, I don't or I haven't yet made the knife for a specific use, for any specific use. Every Any knife should be every knife, a jack of all trades, even though I don't like that term very much. The thing is, I make a knife, obviously, that I would like to have. 
in the sense that um, candle size, candle to blade ratio, uh, spine thickness, uh, drop point, clip, uh, clip point, worn cliff, etc. Those type of things I already have in my mind, the things that I would like to make. But one of the things that I don't particularly uh, pay attention to is like, oh, well, if this person somehow stabs the hub of a car and it doesn't have a, a finger troil and um, a double ricasso, he's going to slice his hand. I don't think about that. Thinking this as a person who is so familiar with this knife that they know what the capabilities of that knife is. So even if they abuse it, they know how much they can abuse it. Whereas if um, they're not familiar with the knife, I can never design a knife to be so foolproof so that a fool can hurt himself, you know, if you understand my meaning. So um, when I start, and you, you remember when we talked about um, uh, designs, I used the Fibonacci uh, yeah. equa- equation, the so golden ratio, the golden ratio. So um, I'm not, I'm not always that set on the golden golden ratio, but it is kind of a thing that I usually u- use to check my designs. But um, I always look for um, I look for it for first for it to be pretty. Okay, so aesthetics is first because you can chip away at the aesthetics, but you can chip away at the function. Um, and then oh, I go, I'm sorry to interrupt, but okay. just as a starting point, what are, when you say pretty, um, what are some of the things you're looking at? Are you looking for uh, symmetry? Are you looking for shape? Like what are some of your guidelines when you say pretty? That's, that's actually a, a very good uh, question. Thank you. Uh, the thing is uh, it's very subjective. I mean, even in philosophy, the, the, the whole term, what makes pretty things pretty is a question that hasn't been answered for two and a half thousand years. It's red hair. No. Red hair is what makes pretty things pretty. <laughs> Women. Or purple. Purple hair also does it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> another, another man of fine taste, I see. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, I don't uh, effectively know, but... As a knife enthusiast I, I, and a knife collector, like I have at this point, like a dozen knives around me. I, I, I know what looks pretty. Now, everything doesn't have the same function. But if you take, for instance, a kukri, uh, and then that's pretty. For, in your mind, that's pretty. But you want to make it into a small EDC-sized knife that has more handle than the blade. Then you start with the aesthetic. And then you start modifying the handle, the blade, the length, the, the curvature, the, the curvature of the belly, of the spine, etc. And then you get this new looking knife that you never even imagined before. But then you start working on that aesthetic further, furthermore. And then at one point you start for, uh, thinking about, okay, time for function. And then you start thinking about the handle. The, uh, will it be a neutral handle? Will it be cur- curved? I, I'm always, I'm always or a neutral handle. Uh, when you say neutral? Uh, when I say neutral, um, uh, like, do you call it a broomstick handle, perhaps? Uh, sometimes, yeah. So, yeah, okay. Uh, but I so would fairly straight, uh, somewhat rounded, no guards, no toils, no finger yes, loops. Yes. 
a, a trial is okay. A soft trial, shallow trial, that that is okay only for like if if it's a completely rounded uh, handle, so that you could uh, by feeling it know which end is which. Basically. Something like the not the fishtail puku, but the traditional broomstick mm-hmm. puku handle. Yes, exactly. Like the texture in, in the front part and the back part. Uh, so I would work that with in the handle generally it would be uh i would focus more on the blade and the blade that's where it depends on which category i wanted to fit in now as i said i would like to be able to make a a machete that would be able to function as an edc you know i mean that's an impossible thing to do but uh that's my core principle when making something it needs it's not supposed to be um, a master of one. You're off to get something, something I know it. <laughs> uh, and I, how do I say? I don't tend to make things specific, specifically uh, for uh, any purpose, unless I'm very much... <laughs> nice one. Uh, if I'm not very uh, familiar with the purpose. And the thing is, if a fisherman needs a knife, in my opinion, um, the only thing that I can do for him is give him a stainless steel. But I'm not an experienced angler. I'm not going to be as good as him. I'm not going to know all the needs that he's going to need. But I can design him a knife that he's going to be able to use on a boat, that he's going to be able to use at home. That's going to be his knife for life, his one knife. And eventually, and this is my hope, that he gets so used to my knife, my design, that he doesn't want a specific knife for this specific job because his his hand is just not used to it. And uh, you then, as you know, when you um, when for, because you do judo, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, we all have uh, and uh, Carl, yes, you, you you do wrestling or you did yes. wrestling, yes. So mm-hmm. we all know gable grip as grip. We all know it by heart, but everybody does it differently. So my S grip might not be the same as yours because my fingers aren't the same same length as yours, for instance. Mm. And that's that's what that's my thinking beca- behind a knife handle. If you get used to grabbing my knife, then that's gonna become your knife, quote unquote. It's the same reason I do Western style handles on Japanese blades for a lot of my chefs is. If you've got 15 years of muscle memory with one shape of handle, mm-hmm. if you try to change that shape, it's a mess because um, you you know that handle. You know how to control it. You can get it to do things it wasn't intended to do. Exactly. We've also used the analogy of my grandfather and his two-bladed case knife, little folding case but pocket yes. knives. Yes, yes, of course. He had one for 45 years, so he could get exactly. it to do things it was never intended to do. Just because he had 45 years of experience. And yeah. that's that's a perfect, perfect uh, analogy, your story uh, with your grandfather and uh, what you said, muscle memory. Uh, if you have ingrained muscle memory with a certain knife, with a certain weight, that knife can have uh, off, can be off-centered, maybe uh, weight forward and whatnot. But you know how to use it because you've been using it for ye- for years. It, uh, and that's that, that's my core principle basically i'm making a knife for life and i'm trying to make it pretty that's uh, rounding it down 
what are what are some of the traits that you equate with pretty? Um, or are we back to? It's a philosophical question. If it's a '57 uh, Chevy, it should have huge fins. But if it's a a '65 Mustang, it's got to have a flat back. Well, you see, th- those are uh, design standards for a car. You know, at the end of the day, I, if if she's a cute little pixie girl, then she should be about five two, have short hair, high cheekbones. But now, if she's like an athletic softball kind of chick, she's going to be taller, broad shoulders. It, it depends on on what your standard is, or what you're looking for, I guess. A pretty, guess, well, a pretty cookery isn't a pretty kitchen knife. That's that's very true. That's uh, um, a very true statement. A pretty cookery is not a, a pretty kitchen knife, but a cookery is a knife built for a certain purpose, and a kitchen knife is a built for a certain purpose. So, if you negated the purpose uh, in the sense of the specificness of a purpose, then you get. Let me ask the question in a better way. Now that I thought about it, what? In your designs, what are some consistent characteristics? Mm-hmm. Okay. They could be a trademark or indicative of your design, but what are the, are there anything that, characteristics that are consistent throughout patterns that you would consider pretty? I have noticed, I have noticed looking back on my designs and I, I, I'm not sure if this is a flaw or if this is something that I've kept landing on, but uh, even... Uh, and I'm gonna. You guys are uh, gonna see, and it's. Um, I always make the the false edge up the 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 swedge actually on top to make the tip very pointy but not weak, so that it still has uh, some strength behind it. It's got a uh, diamond cross section. Yes, exactly. So that's something I keep constantly doing, but also I want to leave a ninety degree spine so that you can strike a ferro rod. Um, for instance, and um, I've been noticing also another thing is you may be able to pick it up is the slight curvature. Very rarely have I made one that, that is fully flat, like uh, from tip to spine, like a quaken, even though that's a little bit upward. Um, but it's always, it, it has that maybe that kukri. Um, curve. Yeah, that soft curve, because I find the, the Kukri one of the most beautiful knives ever made. So maybe that's the thing. And I like a leaf-style blade isn't exactly what I would call this, but I like um, it to have a constant slight curve. A constant sli- slight curve. Um, from from Rocasso to tip is a constant Yeah, constant so curve. it's very slight. It's very slow. You, you can hardly see it here, but then again, this one has been sharpened about a thousand times now. Um, a slight curvature. So th- this is something that I, I've seen Ansu do on... Um, I have one of his knives right here. Wait, I'll sh- uh, excuse me for a second. So when he's talking about a constant curve, uh, he's talking tip to butt. If you look at some of his designs, that yeah. from the tip of the knife to the butt of the knife is one constant curve. There's no flat spots, and it's a, a consistent arc. There's no recurve or any of that. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the things I generally tend to avoid are recurves because um, it happened. It's happened to every one of us who have who have had to sharpen, feel sharpen a knife with uh, rudimentary rudimentary sharpening to- tools. It's hard to sharpen a recurve blade if you don't. 
if you're not uh, very versed in it. And not all knives have a recurved blade, so not all people are very versed in it. Whereas everybody needs to know how to sharpen a, 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 a knife with a belly because basically every knife has a belly, almost every. Of course, uh, Warncliffe knives don't, but you, you, you get yeah. my logic behind that. So it's probably more of a utilitarian uh, answer, but the thing is, one thing I've no, no, noticed are the swedges up top on the at least one third or one half of the blade, and then the leaf leaf style blade has a belly, and then the handle is, if you look at it from the, this side, uh, ergonomically speaking, is supposed to be as neutral as, as possible, but when you look at it, uh, it has no ricasso, it has nothing to it's not going to stop you from hurting yourself if you're being particularly stupid on a certain day. You know, There's no flare. So right behind the Rakasa, there's no little drop, no little flare like Nothing. you see. Even on the bushcraft knives, a lot of times it'll go Rakasa and then it's just a 90-degree bump and then come into the handle. And yours is completely smooth. Transition edge to handle. Yeah, but one thing that I, and when I got the the prototype, one thing I would do, I would work and I would do, and I would twist the handle in my arm, like uh, any which way. And then I would like feel the, the, where the blade starts, you know? And very quickly, I realized that the, this, the, the point where the handle meets the part that would have the recasso or the, the choil is very specific to the touch. And you get used to that just by holding it for an extended period of time. If you give this to somebody who's never held a knife before and you tell them to go stab a tree, odds are he's going to hurt himself. You know? but then you have to ask, why were you stabbing a tree? Uh, I have my reasons. <laughs> it might have owed you money. I mean, who am I to judge? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, he told me he was going to pay me back by the end of the week, and you know how it goes. Um, <laughs> And uh, the thing basically is I'm, I'm aware that I'm not able to make a knife that's going to be perfect for everybody. And I'm not going to even try to be so, so arrogant as to say that I will ever be able to make something closely, uh, closely uh, uh, actually remotely uh, close to that. But I, what, what I think I am going to be able to make is a knife that a person, a knife, knife person, knife enthusiast, a knife user, th this is very important, a knife user will be able to pick up and once he gets proficient and gets the muscle memory for it, he will never be able to replace it with any other pattern knife again. That's my hope and I wish I live for the day when somebody sends me a photo of the first production uh, Zoya knives of Condor and says, I've been using this knife for God knows how many years and it's still serving me just fine. And that, that that's, that's kind of like my drive for uh, designing knives. Now, now drive and uh, um, concept design are different things, but that's my drive. How has, uh, how has it changed going from a designer with kind of infinite possibilities to now that you're working with a production company what are some of the things that you didn't account for it limits in manufacturing or materials cost like mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, uh, the thing is you have that in design all the time. Right. You're always working with something. Like you'll have a client who'll say, oh, but let's not use the color blue. But if we don't use blue, that means we can use compatible co colors with blue or uh, colors that are contrary to blue. So we have to exclude a lot of colors or please don't use this. Please don't use that. Please don't use serif fonts. Please don't use sans serif fonts, etc. And then you're just like, okay, do you have anything to work with? So You could use wingdings. I, literally, like, <laughs> give me something, you know? Yeah. So now, actually, when, when I was talking to Condor, I, I was um, uh, the, their engineer, uh, Jorge, and um, Diana, actually, Diana, she, uh, she uh, isn't an engineer, but she's literally been a goddess helping me through uh, all of this. And I, I was asking, okay, what can I do? What, I, what can't I do? And whatever I wanted, she says, yeah, we can try it. We can try it. We can try it. Because I didn't have any extravagant requirements because at the end of the day, uh, I wanted 1095 and Micarta. That was the thing I wanted to make because, and I'm going to use another analogy with pizza. Um, if you make a good Napolitana or Margarita pizza, that means you're a good pizza chef. If you put steak on it with sauce and whatnot and, and everything, then you're just you know, you're not making a, a good pizza. And that's what the Italians say. If the, if the margarita is bad, it's not, it's not a good pizza joint, you know? And all in all, um, I try to use the, uh, I, I know that you can do a lot with 1095. And at this point, if I, if I manage to do something good with 1095, then I'll be able to do something good with the higher end steel, whereas it wouldn't be the other way around. If I can't make a design work, if I can make a design work with S110V, uh, um, that does not mean that it will work with 1095 because of the steel properties, of course. And so, so you didn't have to make a lot of design changes or navigate the whole compromise, what you, what you want to be done versus what's practical? No, they, they, I literally uh, had everything I wanted, they let me. And in uh, fact, there was... There was another thing that I really wanted. I'm pretty sure I could have asked for some other steel, but I, I know that I specifically want 1095 because uh, 1095 uh, patinas. If you don't care for it, then it rusts. Yeah. And if you don't use it, it's going to rust up. And in a way, um, when you have a patina knife, then it becomes uniquely yours. And that's specific to 1095 and high, high carbon steels and uh, D2 and etc. And I really wanted my knives to reflect that. So you can have a, have a knife and it will have some spots, some stains, and they're going to be very specifically yours. And in that way, my knife becomes your knife and nobody else has a knife like you. And when you have a Micarta handle, your grip is going to leave a stain on the Micarta that's specific to you. In that way, my knife becomes your knife for life. And you make the point of if you don't take care of it or don't use it, it rusts. And back mm -hmm. to your early principle of you're designing a knife to be used every day, not mm -hmm. on the weekends, every day. And if you're yes. doing that, something like 1095, in the drawer it rusts, but on your hip it won't. Yeah, very well said, yes. That's uh, that's kind of the, the philosophy. Though, though I have to say, um, 
it's presumptuous of me to say I have a fully formed out philosophy. I have been thinking about this for years and years, but to say that I have it formed, fully formed out yet is, um, it, it, it would be pretentious, but it's something that's forming per se. The great thing about philosophies is they can change. Yep. I mean, the, my design philosophy today is radically different than the one that I started out with 12, 15 years ago. Do tell. Um, well, a couple of things. One, um, a combination of, at first, I was just trying to make a cool knife. Um, I mean, it's, and then I started applying it. I started approaching it as a design problem, an engineering problem which I made really hideous tools that functioned pretty well. So then I had to start incorporating, allowing for aesthetics. Um, I tend to make a more specialized blade. Um, I, one of my concepts is your tool shouldn't be designed to do more than three things. If you want to do more than three things with it, it's too much. And you wind up with not good at anything. Um, it's just where my philosophy has gone. So I have developed more aesthetics. I've designed some more specialized blades like you. Uh, it took me a little longer to get to, I'm designing a knife for a knowledgeable user. If you don't know not to pry with a knife, you shouldn't be using one of my knives. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, you know, early on, I wanted to make the cool, indestructible, everything knife and mm -hmm. had to learn that that's just a, that's a false premise. That's, that's actually, um, you, you know, the only constant is change. So um, whether or not uh, my principles are right, they will become wrong if they don't change in a certain way, in a certain sense. But uh, some core principles, I hope I, I hope I retain because they, they are uh, uh, idealistically motivated. Actually, the, 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 I posted in, a, we have a knife group, a Serbian knife group, and I posted two of my patterns are becoming, uh, are going to be sold by Condor. And uh, people, people in Serbia love Condor uh, knife tool knives because they're made to be used. And uh, they're affordable. And oftentimes we have in Serbia, we have knife enthusiasts that only have one knife and it's a condor and it's their pride and joy. And I, I think that that's something that I had in my mind. Like somebody in Serbia is going to have one of my knives and it's going to be their pride and joy. And they're going to use it for quite literally everything from cutting bread to um, farm work, to collecting depths, to... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, you're not. It's okay, though. Uh, to doing everything that they need to do in their daily life. That, that's something that was in my mind because I know that um, most of uh, my uh, compatriots cannot afford a lot of nice for specific uses like I have the fortune to do and use. So I'm making it in a broad sense of the word for them and them means also for every for an, for the average joe of the world because our unaverage joe has 300 something machetes well We're i'm sitting here talk to you guys <laughs> yeah but one, you, one question 
for, uh, or one question I had for you is so like, once you have like your design that you kind of have done on paper and stuff, how do you go about getting that, uh, from the computer screen or on paper to an actual physical thing to, uh, use, do you have some equipment or do you work with some other makers or. Well, now currently that that one person would be Condor, so I send them the files as they do the prototype. But before, I have local knife makers, and Serbian knife makers are horribly underappreciated, and I hope to bring more spotlight to them because I pale in comparison to, to their skill. And um, I work with them. They basically, um, I go to go to them. They we make a cutout for, uh, for uh, a knife, and then I hold it. You know, just a blank. Think of it as a blank, and then I, you know, make how do I say assumptions based on the feel of it. That that influence. Then, then I go back to the drawing board, and that that's how I usually do it. But by the time I get to them, I, I can't have them making fifty blanks for me because they'll probably stab me yeah. with an anvil or something. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of like wondering because obviously you aren't sending every single design you come up with the condor no. but um yeah i didn't know if that's, was... that's that's why i have uh, hundreds of sketches half half of my ipad memory is full of sketches of knives mm-hmm. from every <laughs> possible angle and every type of uh, blade shape variation this and that and in in truth 99.99 of those will never get anywhere because um i can't say i can already see them finished but i can presume on what uh, knowledge I have from using knives, that this is not something that I would like in a knife. And it's something that would hinder a person that would have a certain uh, different morphological uh, uh, aspect of their hand, different than mine, longer fingers, shorter fingers, or etc. So um, when I get to to them, I have already taught out my knife for a quite extensive uh, period of time. But I am curious, uh, Dan told us about his uh, principles behind um, behind uh, his knives. What do, do you have any core principles or philosophy when you design a knife? Or Yeah, Dan and I agree on quite a bit of stuff. Like uh, one of the things I really liked uh, when I got started into knives is uh, thinner knives. So I, I have very few knives that are like really thick. Uh, so. Um, the yeah having things be more like laser beams instead of uh kind of sharpened pry bars um i like and then that kind of like i i also love to to cook and stuff like that so kitchen knives are like you know or being having them be able to be used is like priority number one not many Mm -hmm. people just have a ton of kitchen knives just hanging on the wall that they never use like uh, some of the hunting knives and stuff like that people have 20 30 or more knives in the safe that they never use most people if they own kitchen knives they they pull them out and use them um pretty much they're all every day they're an everyday tool yeah so uh, a lot of that stuff has just got to come down to to being useful and things like that so and then i i play around with a a little bit more uh, different handle types of stuff. So like some of the resin cast wood stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I love Micarta's. I've got a ton of like really thick, like 
inch and a half, two inches, and I even have one piece that's six inches thick. Now he's uh, bragging. Uh, <laughs> canvas micarta. So I, I just love the way that that looks with the in grain. Mm-hmm. It's like a woodish uh, kind of grain look. Yeah, I do a lot or some stuff with color liners next to it. But uh, what I do on a lot of my knives is file work. Um, that's kind of one of the things that I've been known for. So on the spines, I'll, I'll do uh, different I've seen patterns. That on Instagram. Beautiful. Yeah. So I'll do some different colors and stuff uh, next to it. Um, things like that. So uh, just trying to make, make my knives stand out. Something that you can't just like go and get at the store. Uh, yeah, I try yeah. to try to bring something special, tell the story of making knives and stuff as a hobby and then bringing it into full time that I am now. Yeah. Well, I like it. I, I can't help but uh, realize that um, while our uh, core philosophies at the beginning might not be the same when it comes down to it, we all three of us want the knife to be used. Mm-hmm. So whether it be choosing 1095 and for the knife to fail if you don't use it to it being a, a kitchen knife where you need muscle memory to use it for it to be a hunting knife that doesn't sit in a safe we, we seem to um all aim in the, in the same direction we want the knife user to be happy with the thing that we make even though we take completely different paths i presume yeah. um, not me i just want that cheddar I don't care if you use it, I don't care if you like it, okay, yeah. break it and buy another one, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I have used some carbon steel knives and I'm starting to have like more carbon steel knives that I own, but I, I mainly stick more towards the stainless stuff just because I like that, like more sterile, mm-hmm. um, like shiny appearance. And then also when I'm Being using Scandinavian. it and stuff. Yeah, when I'm or like when I'm working and stuff, I've had so many times where I forgot to to wipe the mm-hmm. uh, water off the steel while I'm grinding, and I come in the next day and it's just like totally covered in yellow or mm-hmm. uh, rust. So the stainless steels, you don't have to worry about that as much. That's true. Because I'm like, anytime I've worked with high carbon steels, I'm always like just so nervous until it like I ship it out, and then I hopefully it doesn't get to the customer and rust in between and stuff like that. So, and this is kind of a dirty little secret that I I think it's the first time I've admitted it publicly, certainly on air. Uh, Something I picked up on when I was first getting into knife making S 35 VN had just come on the market. It was new particle steels were just getting in. And I realized that simple carbon blades, I was competing with every bladesmith out there. And a lot of them were smarter than I am. Uh, they had 20, 30 years head start and experience. So rather than trading elbows with these really established guys with a really established market, I realized a lot of these particle steels, there was legitimate performance advantages to it. There was legitimate reasons to use them and they couldn't be forged. So I saw an opportunity to get into a market early that had less competition. You know, as as uh, a mentor once told me, you can be a guy that makes knives or a knife maker. Guy that makes knives can do whatever he wants. Knife maker's got to make a knife that sells. Mm-hmm. So chances are, if you're living to, listening to this podcast, you've got some part of the industry and you know that it, all decisions have a financial 
component to them. I wouldn't use the steels that I use if I didn't absolutely believe everything I say about them. But that also doesn't mean I didn't see a financial advantage of getting into those steels. So especially stock removal guys like Kyle and I, there are some very legitimate reasons to use simple carbon steels. Some of it is the aesthetics. But why try trade elbows with these guys that can do feather pattern Damascus with simple carbon steels when we can use, you know, magna cut, which it's mathematically sharper and has all of these other advantages. Yeah. More wear so resistant. Some of the some of the reasons we stay out of the, the simple carbon steels is why why go get competition that I don't have to? That's that's actually incredibly smart, and that's the, the, this is the type of knowledge that I'm far from getting yet. You know, because you guys have been in the game infinitely longer than I. I have. Hey, 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 I'm not different. that much old. I, okay, I could be your dad, but I would be like <laughs> a really young teenage dad. Okay, you don't I'm need to get into the well. you're old. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I hate rust like. Like on my vehicles everywhere, so uh, I'm I am always like kind of looking to have something made out of stainless or whatever. Uh, so, the Broadback grinder that I use two years ago at Blade Show, they had cut they had cut three of them out of three hundred four stainless steel, and so like the whole grinder body is all stainless, so it legitimately will never rust <laughs> like yeah. ever. So, and, uh, and I spend about. Six months out of my year living in an area that is literally 98 to 99% humidity. Yeah. Yeah. So n- no high carbon there. Oh, uh, it is constant maintenance. Um, not yeah. just, you know, a lot of places, even the jungle, like if you were using your machete, it wasn't rusting. Uh, there's times during the summer here in the, the Southeast that you literally have to oil your knife midday. Yeah, I mean, you can remember back in the Amazon, you remember the Makaras that we were using? Like they looked, they, they were literally uh, caked in uh, rust. And yeah. at the end of the day, I don't know if you remember, but at the end of the day, I would go and uh, there's an old trick when you uh, cut a, a, a green piece of wood and uh, put it in water and into the soot. And yep. then you rub it off to take the rust off. So that's a, a, a field trick to take off the, the rust. And it would leave a nice patina. And I remember like looking at that uh, giant ass machete and uh, thinking, this is this is a patina that formed in the Amazon with all of us using it. It, it, it's, it has its story now, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can take it off, I know, but it has its story. But I realize now listening to you, Kyle, the... The, 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 you use the term sterile. So there is an aesthetic uh, element to your core principle of designing knives, the look to be clean. I'm, say, I'm saying clean in a good sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, w- whereas mine is probably would be... Uh, say you're dirty. Say you're dirty. Oh, say okay. Organic. Okay, I'm not gonna. You're gonna have to. Char- I'm gonna have to charge you twenty dollars to say it's not the stuff you want to say. <laughs> um, S- send all yeah, your invoices we, to Dan at Dogwood Custom Knives. Twenty dollars. I want to hear squirrel and moose. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I am um, not a prostitute, but a twenty dollars is twenty dollars. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. We've degraded. 
um, the the clean, almost Scandinavian sterile aesthetic versus a, a more organic or chaotic aesthetic. Mm. That can that that can work. The thing, of course, is that any knife, uh, if it's uh, in magna cut, no matter how you uh, how uh, good the properties of the steel are, eventually, as you use it, they're going to start showing signs, whether they be scratches or uh, nicks or whatnot, they're going to start showing those signs of use. And um, I, I, I personally like that. It makes that knife unique to you. That's the fingerprint of the knife. Mm-hmm. And I like that with all, all of my knives. That, uh, it, it ruins their resale value. But um, the... I'm just helping make other knives more valuable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I use mine to make your unused ones more valuable. Yours, I'm pretty sure that your, yours have great uh, resale value, especially in <laughs> comparison to anything I'll ever make. Because I think mine, you cut one, you you, you cut a slice of bread, and, and the monetary value of it drops by fifty percent. So but, uh, I have uh, here uh, the Tops Mini Puko uh, mm-hmm. that Goran Mikhailovich, our uh, friend and knife uh, maker. Uh, has made and this well i don't know if you can see it mm. it has so much patina on it and i have cleaned it up so many times that it's so it has such unique color to me because it has it has um, piranha blood my blood uh it has uh, dirt it has oil it has food it has everything on it and it's kind of when i see it i kind of see the story of it mm. and I don't know if you guys have that saying, but we have it in Serbia. If you haven't cut yourself on your own knife, it's not yours. So in the kitchen industry, they'll say until a knife bites you, it's not yours. There we go. So that's the same principle, but this applies to every knife. So if you buy a knife and you never cut yourself on it, it's not yours. You bought it, you own it, but it's not yours. And when I look at this knife and it's been two, two times with me in the Amazon, it's been me on uh, it's been with me on Mount Olympus actually when I climbed Olympus and like it, it, right, that's a solid flex you really should start with that next time yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, climbed Mount mine, yeah, I just climbed Mount Olympus yeah and I'm talking about Mythicus Peak that is, that's a YDS3 climb and I can tell you I'm sorry you're gonna have to bleep this out I was whoa whoa whoa, whoa stop right there I'm scared climbing that last last part of uh, the Mythicus peak that was an exhausting two mile ascent to the uh, top of Mount Olympus but I sat on the throne of Zeus so nice that that, that was a that's a little bit of a flex there no no that, that, that's solid I, yeah. I can't fault you for it I, okay, I can't you. say but, I've sat on the throne of Zeus <laughs> <laughs> but both of you guys are knife makers with your own uh, knife shops and I would gladly trade trade you the flex if possible. <laughs> well, you're welcome to come here if, if you're ever in the state. It's Actually, not it's not a very big knife shop, but uh well, if um I'm not prone to uh, optimism, but I am prone to cautious optimism. So I'm hoping I will get get a visa hopefully and come to the states and when I do, I have so many places I want to visit. I even have 
<laughs> this might seem a little bit funny, but I've bought uh, the collection, all, all of the Field Notes uh, National Park oh, uh, nice. yes. edition uh, memo books. And I want to get a stamp from every national park in the U.S. in them. And I know that's kind of corny, but that's just one of the things I want to do when I come to yeah. the U.S. Not corny. Um, There's a lot gonna of them. Be, that's going to be an achievement. I know. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, well, you've been to China, so you probably get it. A lot of people don't quite understand the distances in the States um, mm-hmm. yeah. when they come to visit from Europe. But if China is, uh-huh. that's a solid, if you've moved around China, you get the, oh no, that's days away. Yeah. No, I mean, um, one, another thing that I really want to do is travel the transcontinental railway um, because I like the trains and I did the trans-Siberian, the trans Manchurian, and I want to do the transcontinental. You got to get the trifecta. Yeah. And then I'm, I've, I'm the train guy. Actually, they, 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 they're they screwing me over. They're, they're making a new one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Could you say that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to take that sound bite out, aren't you? <laughs> no. Dan doesn't, Dan doesn't have access until the, the show posts. Okay, please, please. <laughs> Do everything in your power. Uh you will live like a king if you ever come to Serbia. Just don't. <laughs> um, uh, they're making a, a rail line from Portugal to connect to the Man- Trans-Manchurian, and it's supposed to go to Singapore or something. And it's it will be the longest uh, uh, rail line in the world. So it won't be a trifecta. And when I do the transcontinental, they're going to finish this one, and then I'm going to have to do the most difficult one as the last one. So there. Yeah. I really want to do it. Just to get back on a little bit of the topic and really one of the questions. Oh, we're not talking about trains all the time. Sorry. One of the questions I think a lot of the listeners are going to uh, want to want to hear about is um, how did you get, how did you come to the attention of Condor and how did you go from guy with an idea to uh, Nemanja, knife designer for Condor Knives? Honestly, I, w- I wouldn't know if anybody asked me for like advice how to get there. I wouldn't know. The, the key aspect, obviously, is Joe Flowers. And I think without him believing in my abilities to design, liking my designs and saying this has potential, I would not have the the courage to go forward with this. And then I, I had the, the moxie to ask, please, please, um, show them some of my de- designs, you know, and luck- luckily enough, they liked the designs enough to green light a prototype. And after that, it was out of my hands. Then it was a stress test and it was um, reviewed by several other people and it got approved. So um, from my end, it was, I- I'm, I'm going to say, I don't want to say luck, but I will say it had help. And I think this is an important aspect. I'm going to uh, single out to Joe Flowers and say that he has been instrumental in uh, getting me noticed by Condor. But there have been a lot of people also within Condor, <clears throat> sorry, uh, that have been helping me through this process of getting my uh, knives, my patterns um, made by them. So, um it's not a one-man show. 
this was um i i was very fortunate to have uh, been helped by a lot of very selfless people and and you as well if you um you might not th think of it then um but we talked about knives an awful lot while we were in south america and a lot of that stayed with me and i think i remember when i gave you the prototype of my knives you gave me some suggestions you you told me about the the contouring of the ricasso etc all of that stayed with me uh, so it's not a linear path to victory per se but it's um a lot of very good selfless people have helped me along the way and i have been fortunate enough to be um opportunistically minded enough to seize the uh to seize the opportunity that that's that would basically be uh, that would basically be the 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 way i got to be a designer for condor tool and knife and what do you think's next more knives <laughs> more knives and more knives i I'm, I'm i'm so much i'm thinking about knives constantly anyway so now i'm sketching sketching them out in my free time and you know i don't know i just want to uh try more more things i want to try uh different bl blade styles i want to try different size i want to try a machete i i have a couple dozen mach machete designs i want to um i would really like to make a skeleton skeletonized knife that would um out of a magna cut for instance that would be a, a good not diverse knife but a, a fisherman's knife or a knife for somebody who goes um who lives near near uh the sea um so basically the answer the short answer would be i want to try everything as much as possible uh as soon as possible to the best of my abilities that's that's up next all right and my humbleness is out the window <laughs> all right um so you've got two designs uh at condor uh, and they're coming out this year Mm -hmm. In April, they're going to be, uh, they're already in their catalog, 2023 catalog. You can look them up and it's on their website as well. Uh, their distributors already have uh, ordered, ordered them. I know they're going to be sold in Germany among uh, other places. And come April, they're going to be out for uh, distribution. Um, I can't talk about prices because, you know, MSRP prices and etc um so we're gonna have to wait on that but come april it will be available and what are the what are the two patterns the two patterns are Zhaoka and zolia theoretically if you're speaking to a poorly educated dyslexic english speaker how might they spell those yeah, the, I, I intentionally use Serbian words because you're, uh, um, visually you'll distinguish them. But uh, Z O L Y A Zolia, so Z O L Y A, and the second one, the black one, the stinger, uh, Z H A O K A, Zhaoka. And they can find your knives at Condor. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on my, uh, my Instagram. They can see all the ill-advised stuff 
I uh, do around the world and places I visit at uh, my Instagram, which is my name, Nemanja with a J instead of a Y. So that's N-E-M-A-N-G-A underscore B-O-G-D-A-N-O-V Nemanja Bogdanov. Um, Bless you. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty... Yeah. It's so ethnic. I'm aware how funny that probably sounds. So um, they congratulations can also- on all the followers on your Instagram there too. I got uh, oh. twenty eight thousand. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's got a whole underground uh, like guerrilla artist thing going on too. Yeah, some yeah, of the um, images can, are really cool. I actually have the most followers on Tumblr of all places, and it's just. <laughs> oh, I bet you do. Oh, I. <laughs> Uh, I think oh, I that's grinder. Some... Sorry, that I got confused. <laughs> nice one, nice one. Um, I think I have some fifty-three thousand followers on Tumblr, and it's basically just my drawings. I mean, illustrations. And oh. I've started uh, TikTok because as you moved into the particle steels, I'm trying not to be uh, snobbish about new um, social media. So I figured, okay this is another medium that I should probably use. So I started using TikTok and I think I'm going to check, but I think I'm close to 30,000 there as well. Wow. Uh, so yeah, 29.7,000. I and, think I'm like at a couple hundred on TikTok. Okay. I mean, that's, that's not our 2,500 followers, but it's not bad. <laughs> well done, kid. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. If not, if nothing else, um, I'm going to harness all of that to, um, uh, showcase showcase my knife uh, knives oh. when they uh, come oh, here out. I thought Next he was going to put that behind the podcast and get us like two more listeners. Gonna, that goes without saying, you know. I mean, <laughs> me being on an English speaking podcast, the people in my village they will be all crazy with this. You know, you have to understand. It's going to triple our uh, our listenership right there. Yeah, especially <laughs> our overseas listenership. <laughs> I hope so. Like I'm going to push it an awful lot. And uh, honestly, you you guys have no idea how uh, proud I am of the fact that you invited me to to be a guest on your podcast. Um, And the fact that um, I even like the name European Affair. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm literally beyond words and it will take me uh, several days to literally take all of this in. It's, it's, it's a huge honor. Hey, it will once we finish, no take backs. In a few <laughs> days, when you realize what an utter mistake this was, it, it, it's too late. Um, the the things I could have said and the things I did say, oh, I'm golden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, you can know. keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com and Knife Perspective on Facebook and Instagram. And you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com, Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives at cagedailyknives.com and Facebook or Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. So thank you very and- much. If I, if I may, one last thing, I want to thank all of your listeners for uh, sticking with me and my ramblings. Uh, I hope I wasn't boring and that you've enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them like the the longer shows so because a lot of them are listening and have, uh, it's a lot of company while they're working in the shop and stuff like that mm-hmm. or 
long car rides and stuff. So oh, and well, anything over two hours is a real pain in the the butt for uh, Kyle to to edit. So mm-hmm. my goal is really like you know today we hit the two thirty mark. This is a really solid solid show for us. <laughs> All right, yeah, cool, so, man. Tell everybody uh, good afternoon, Dan. Good afternoon, Dan. <laughs> well, let's take it to the edge, because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective.